Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests, and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello everybody and welcome along to Midweek Motorsport. We are just after 8 o'clock. This remarkably is, I, remar- I, I did remarked about this earlier on today. Um, this is Series 16, which is scary in itself, Episode 36 uh, for 2021. Uh, it's hanged off live in the Thrapston studio. We are at Club Thrapicana which is almost ready to be shut down. But the drinks are still free here, which is which is lovely. Uh, meantime, apologies for absence. Hang on, let's scroll through. Oh, Tim Gray, not here tonight. Uh, he's gone to a Christmas party. They're catching up from the 1980s, apparently. Um, however, Nick Damon is here. Hello, John. I, I believe Christmas is December. Not <laughs> September. <laughs> He's got a lot to fit in. How many How many years have been cancelled? Well, who knows? Is he going to celebrate VE Day later? <laughs> <laughs> it's Battle of Britain Day. <laughs> it is actually, yeah, good yeah, point. Battle of Britain Day. Uh, so Nick, uh, Tim's away for Battle of Britain Day. Oh, hang on. He's, apparently next week he's going to the Festival of Britain. Excellent. <laughs> Very good. That's another 51 <laughs> joke for all of you. <laughs> Shit, my dad wasn't here. We can tell you about that <laughs> right now. God rest his Oh, hang soul. on. He's going to the 6-6 World Cup final on Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, on a packed programme tonight, we have... All the usual features, John. Oh, uh, yes. Excellent. Uh, which will include um, some guests, uh, some correspondents. With a bit of luck, we'll have a... <laughs> Why are you laughing? Sorry, that's the vaguest description ever. Some guests, some correspondents. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to keep it generic, just in case. So what you're basically saying is this, this is an intro that can be used for any show. It is the intro that's used for any show. Yeah. That's what that's what Tim left me. That's all he <laughs> left, left me. left you nothing. Yes, indeed so. Um, delighted to say that up in London is Kez Cobb who is pushing the buttons, twiddling the knobs, and sliding the slidey things um, to make sure we are going to the world at the moment. With a bit of luck, a fair wind, uh, we should have Parker Thompson from JDX Racing talking to us just after 9 o'clock, so in about, what, 55 minutes' time, 53 minutes' time, um, about the end of the season for the Porsche Carrera Cup North America presented by visit Cayman Islands after uh, what, in fairness, wasn't the worst weekend for him on the triple header uh, at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Uh, we will have Declan Brennan joining us to talk two-wheeled uh, stuff um, from 
And the reason I paused there was because I couldn't remember where they were at the weekend, and I wanted to say Navarra, and I knew it was wrong. It was Aragon. Um, uh, it was Catherine at the weekend. Um, <laughs> the MotoGP were at the Catherine circuit at the weekend, and that was very interesting, and we'll go through the machinations of that. Shea Adam will be joining us and talking sports cars, plus all the USA news from her. Um, and just to prove we are live, oh, they're all oh, they're full time, so one, two, and two nil doesn't help. And everything else is nil. Oh no, hang on, um, nil one uh, there. Excellent. So in fact, the well-known um, bathroom and kitchen cleaner are ahead whilst playing away in the Champions League at the moment. Just to prove that we are live. Do you mean SIF United? That's right. <laughs> Sporting Club Sif. <laughs> yes. Yes, absolutely right. Uh, let's quickly go through uh, the usual parish notices. So we've had our significant AFA from Tim. Uh, this from John the Race Fan, my usual AFAs. I enjoy the podcast. Sadly, I'm about 30 minutes from Road Atlanta, but don't have time to pop in for fun and get John. Come on, really. Just make the effort, man. The Sim Racing Bar Steward listening live tonight, having laid a load of decking and built some raised beds, AFS next week, as I'm on a cruise. And the coverage of me, of motorsport on cruise lines is rubbish and the internet is ex- ex- expensive. It is expensive. I, I You're I, on the wrong I, cruise line. Well, I went on one. I've only been on cruising like, I went on 2001. There was no internet there. It'd been just sort of invented. You could get, you could get your emails and the, you know and that sort of thing, but it was very expensive at that point. But um, I don't know. It's quite. I don't know. I quite fancy a cruise. I got two. Weeks, I got. I, put, I have booked my, my holiday though. Yeah. I've got myself two weeks at the end of the year. Excellent. Brody, uh, back to servicing the camper after a few days playing out. The big story this week: ninety-three stays on his bike for a whole race. We will talk about that later on. Brody, hope you're well. Um, very envious of you having the camper. Uh, Kevin Payne, uh, live again tonight. <laughs> a variety of incidents to talk about. Jack Martin, good morning, he says. Uh, he's he's in our future. Uh, an amazing round of motorsport the weekend. Can't wait to dive into this weekend, uh, this week's episode. No AFAs for Chris Suku tonight. Mask might risk a little multitasking. Uh, although he says he's chilling as well. Well, chilling and mul- and listening is the same. You know, that's multitasking. Um, uh, Brendan Sawyer, my last time listening wi- live for a while. I'm starting a new job, so putting in early AFAs for the next few weeks. I think, Brandon, you'll find that listening to midweek motorsport is actually uh, okay with the boss. Uh, absolutely okay with the boss. And people will allow you time off. Uh, to uh, to that to do that as well. Um, Mick Palmer uh, listening live. Although the new bar at Sunderland City Centre was tempting to call Halo serves serves some nice portly dishes. Apparently, although it doesn't serve duck. You were supposed to say it doesn't serve what? Doesn't serve duck. No. You're gonna have to you're gonna have to rehearse these more. Mm, very much, um, Mick. So, is that Martin Halo? The Martin Halo bar. Holly, <laughs> somebody is nicking your name. Uh, Fabian Zimmerman will catch up on the podcast. German pre-elections consuming most of my attention these days, he says. Ah, politics. If only we could 
bother to get into that on... Oh, hang on, wait. Um, Carol Brink, your favourite plant breeder, is tuning in from Castroville Bunker. Hello, Kevin. He's a bit of a rock star in the plant breeding world. Oh, I've heard that. To be honest, he's yeah. I once got stopped in a queue for immigration in the States, and somebody couldn't believe I knew Kevin Brink. Uh, he was... Was it because he gave you a particularly um, five-leafed uh, plant, you know? No, he, he just knew him as a complete rock star in in plant breeding. Kevin Glass is listening in for a long drive. Got caught up with the podcast where uh, prepping the race car. Oh, Montremblant, Kevin. That is pure, pure envy uh, here. Uh, the James O'Donnell. Looking forward to the show, convincing myself to stay in the garden and listening, but feeling slightly chilly. Put a fire on, man. Put a fire on. <laughs> Uh, listening to burn something. <laughs> really? Uh, had a great day at British GT Championship at Alton Park. Such a good track. It really is. Uh, looking forward to RC Racing's Horner Ranthathon. Sorry, I meant team by team. He says, what are you talking about? Blue Fiend says, listening in live, servicing 911 spark plugs currently. And he sent me a pic. Oh, God. He's yes. servicing the plugs? Yeah. Just buy new ones. Engine. No, no, no. Engine has to. It's virtually an engine out job. Oh, dear. Can you imagine that? that engine out for a basic thing? <laughs> what car would have that happen on? Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Andy Chilton, uh, no need for AFAs, loading up the uh, MX-5, which is a very nice orange NC. Uh, oh, with with the hard top on as well. That's going to be aerodynamically far more efficient. Well done. Supporting IndyCar uh, this weekend. Uh, Dave Alcock, under... <laughs> this is, that's a record, record. Under 60 seconds for 80 music reference. Tim's not here. Honestly, we're going to get away with all sorts tonight. <laughs> Stiggy Marley says, so ready for the upcoming Monza conversation. Did something happen at Monza this weekend? I fell asleep. Uh, uh, hello to uh, Ollie. Always enjoy your race comments. Very fun to hear. I'm fully involved every time. At Specutainment, if you want to get want to get in touch with us, uh, let's play the jingle as we well, see. I've got the shuffle papers because Tim's not here. Here's the top story in the news. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek motorsport. And we'll start with Formula One, for which we need our Formula One correspondent, Nick Damon. Hooray! I keep going, hey! It was a marvellous, because you got to go hooray for the race and uh, for sprint race. Can we, can we start from the end and go to the beginning? Because the last, the, the, <laughs> the end of it, nothing happened. And no. I mean, nothing happened. I actually did fall asleep. What, the last 13 laps, you mean? Well, was it 13 yeah, or it was 20? 20, I think, 13 at the end, I think, yeah. I, I, I actually did fall asleep. We'll be doing team by team for all that stuff. Yeah, we'll do, we'll do all of that. But obviously, we've got to talk about the sprint. God. It's not working, is it? Right, this is, this is the thing that annoys me. It's mon right, okay. In case you were under a rock <laughs> or, or, you know, not interested... Uh, in which case, why are you listening to this show? Yeah. But hello. Hi. And later we'll be doing crocheting and kids. Oh, I was going to do the needle poise. the wrong week? Excellent. Yeah, yeah, that'll be next week. Right. Okay, the sprint race. No, no. I'm sorry, you're wrong. Oh, sprint qualifying. No. Qualifying it, sprint? It's just the sprint. Oh, it's just the race. Anyway. It's not working, is it? No. 
And there's a huge amount, and you can tell it's not working because the amount of times that F1 are telling us it is working. It's a <laughs> pure indication of how it's not working. Um, realistically, what the sprint gave us was um, Lewis making a mistake at the start, which dropped him back, which theoretically should have been good. But not at Monza when you can't get past, you can't overtake. And uh, with no one's tyres went off and everyone trundled round. And Max Verstappen didn't need to bother passing Valtteri Bottas because he knew he was going to go to the back. It was pointless. It was absolutely pointless. And the, and the ultimate situation was there was one massive loser. It was Pierre Gasly when he fell off and they, and they couldn't actually mend the car. And an interesting thing is that this year, you know how they say there's no asterisks in the record books? Yes. Well, I feel that Max Verstappen this year has earned an asterisk. In uh, his I'm, scared, I'm actually scared to no, ask what it's for. He's got two poles on his record he didn't earn, mm. and one win for a race didn't take place. Right. That's very true, because... <laughs> and this is nothing against Max. This is about no, but, but that's, F1. That's, this is just about process. Yeah. Um, and we possibly should have had the responsible adult up for, up for this, but we talk, the responsible adult and I talked about this at the weekend in between the 100... 17 different things we were doing for IMSA um, at, at the weekend and, and Nürburgring. They've got it wrong in so many ways here. The person who gets the fastest time in qualifying has one pole. Yes, they've right? won the pole position. They, they have qualified. They about it from there afterwards. They are the pole position holder for all the records. Yes, correct. So, so that's the earned pole. Yeah. Max didn't earn the pole because... If you are if you are not going to, they can't have it both ways in Formula One. So if you are not going to apply any penalties until after the sprint, then you can't then say that Max has been on pole position as an earned pole. He just started. He, at the he front. started in first position. Yeah. But in fact, what they, in point of fact, what they should have done was left pole position empty and let everybody else line up Ooh, where they should have been. been. An interesting uh, uh, conundrum. No, I don't, don't disagree with you. I think the uh, they've got they wanted to give it more gravitas. They decided to give it points and the pole. We all know it's not pole position. There's another interesting anomaly actually was kicked up by this one in that um, during the race, uh, Nicholas Latifi finished ahead of uh, George Russell. So even though George was ahead of him in actual qualifying, George's record of having always been top qualifier in his Williams race is now gone officially, even though he was faster, he was beaten over 17 laps, not over one lap, and the whole point about blooming qualifying is being fast over one lap, and you can't keep blanking tinkering Sorry. with all the records. Sorry, hang on, I'm just sweeping up my brain from oh down no, here it's, on it's, the floor. I, mean, I, have, I haven't, let me get this quite right, I have no issue with the concept of a sprint race, but do it at tracks where you can overtake, and it's just an extra race for three points. It's not. Don't start mucking about with the with the only thing that actually holds a lot of F1 together, which is the records and the and the achievement. Right. Well, the other thing that 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 needs changing now, and it really does need changing, is um. So the so the sprint, mm. which I'm convinced you do have to say uh -huh. like that, isn't working. So bin the sprint. No, no, no. Sorry, it's working really well according Sorry. to engagement on F1. Sorry, so the, the sprint is working media brilliantly. Stuff. It's working brilliantly, yeah. Well, so what happens when something's working brilliantly in motorsport? They change it. Yes, exactly. Okay. So it's working bri brilliantly, so that's got to go. And the other There'll thing... Be more next year. So the other thing that has to happen now, as we have seen from the nonsense in... 
I don't even know what the session was before the sprint anymore. FP2 officially. Uh, right. Uh, no. Yes. Q- QP2, surely. No, FP1. Q. FP2. Sprint. Oh, all right, sorry. So, so what was the qualifying session called? Is that still Just called qualifying? qualifying? Yeah. All right, okay. So now we've got, now we have simply got like Moto3, like it's happened in uh, GP2 and GP3. Like, I'm sorry, you've messed it up so much now. What you now have to do is you have to have single car qualifying. Possibly. I'd, it's... <laughs> I think they've 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 done some fiddling. They've they've got it wrong. Um, they've not worked out that if you want to run a sprint, you have to run it at tracks where you know. If if Lewis, think about it, Lewis makes a rubbish start but can overtake people, that'd be interesting, wouldn't it? Lewis makes a rubbish start and then gets stuck behind people. Well, it's, obviously it's very interesting for 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 Verstappen fans. It's fantastic, but for people who actually want to launch a race, because let's be absolutely honest about this. After the second chicane, which is the variant, uh, anyway, after, uh, anyway, after, yeah, after second chicane, and when um, Gasly fell off because he'd broken his wing, nothing happened, and more importantly, no one tried to make it happen, because the risk versus reward is zero. Mm. It's zero because you, if you go off, you've not scored any points this in the top three. It's just mm-hmm. ridiculous. It's just a badly flawed concept. On top of annoying changes to things, I'm all right. I'm old. I'm a traditionalist, but you don't need to do this. And then it's backed up by all oh, all this great engagement. Oh, shut up! People will, you know, you know. Yes, it's more. But please, if you're gonna do it, do it at tracks where you can overtake. Don't pretend it's pole. Give more points. Make it worthwhile. Sort it out. Do about four of them a season, not every single race, and have the courage of your convictions rather than thinking a halfway house of stupidity. But other than that, it's great. <laughs> Uh, we'll talk about the race yep. in, in team by team, but mm-hmm. we've got to address, um, we have to, actually, this is very funny. Alan Prosovich just said, I can give Verstappen an asterisk, and it's TW asterisk T. <laughs> and uh, frankly, I'm no Lewis fan. He's what he's just said. I'd expect yeah. your team, please. Um, look, everybody knows that I am not an apologist for anybody in motor racing, and particularly no. not Lewis Hamilton. No. Um, However, I have the greatest, I'm going to say this now, I have the greatest respect for the FIA steward who was on duty this weekend. It was Tim Mayer. And oh, was it Tim? It was That explains Tim. the sensible response. Yes, yes, very much so. Um, I don't understand why... Okay, I'm not allowed to say why I understand where why Sky Sports F1 are so Red Bull-centric, um, but they are. And they are biased in my mind. They aren't. Uh, they don't seem to me to be giving an independent view and a and a balanced view um, on uh, on on balance, obviously. Um, <laughs> however, I I just think I've I've spoken to a number of racing drivers, and for the most part, um, they're opinions on what happened again at the weekend was what was Max thinking about? He's leading the championship. He possibly would have had... There was a really interesting uh, item I heard on the... I think it was on the podcast I was listening to 
One of the journalists interviewed Max and said, are you treating your racing any differently now you're going for the World Championship? Nope, I'm racing the same way as I was before. But he's not, though. Well, he is, because he's not thinking about the championship. He's thinking about every single corner, every single race, but no, which but is the wrong way. No, but 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 he's under more pressure because he yeah. is leading the championship. But can I have to say right now, I do not believe for one second that was in any way deliberate. I don't think he was deliberately trying to take Lewis out no, at but, all. But then he said something stupid. Well, that's kind of, yeah, like... He's not a kid anymore. No, but... He is not a kid anymore. Let me just say, I think you've got to be very careful how you react and, and your actions. The reason we knew that uh, Max was predominantly to blame, which is what the stewards found, is mainly because Horner and Marco were saying it's a racing incident, which is pretty obviously means, yeah, we know he did it. But you've got to be really careful. You need to have the ability to sit back and look at yourself. And Max Verstappen, as you remember, back up in the uh, aftermath of the Silverstone, fired off some angry tweets about the disrespect of Lewis Hamilton celebrating on the on the, the podium when he was oh he was he was in hospital having a pointless CT scan because we all knew he was all right. He was at hospital. Yeah. He wasn't in And hospital. so you've just landed your car on Lewis and you just walk off without even checking if he's all right. I'm going to You can't do that and and you can't have both both areas. That I I'm yeah I'm not going to get into the instant that was been I think it was the correct decision by the by the stewards it was a, it was the minimum penalty they could give so they did what well, they weren't they were like fifty five forty five fine but that was incredibly classless by Verstappen not to check on the health of the other driver who's Jack, just been so, landed on so Jackie Stewart is as you know I think is on the whole tends to be right and he said he's surprised about the lack of maturity I mean the thing we have to remember is he's not a kid anymore how many Grand Prix but he's done a hundred he's done a huge number hundred and 120 something, 130 some Grand Prix, but he's still 23. So you do that, don't you? you know. That's not working on radio. All right, that was the balance skills. in hand. Yeah, you were doing balance in hand. But it's just, jazz I hand. just, just think that he's. But the problem is, he's in. He's, he's like all young children. If you enable them, which is what Red Bull have done, you end up with unpleasant children. I'll be honest with you, as you know, I've actually thought he's been great this year, mm-hmm. and he was great last week. But he keeps letting himself down to moments of pressure, and and. And I was just really disappointed about his, his reaction to the accident and his not checking on Lewis and his lack of interest in Lewis's health, especially after he bleated on about it last time. I, I, yeah, well, uh, there's a lot of whataboutism going on here and I tend not to try and look at social media because people are complete numpties on that. I really have to wind myself in there uh, about that. Uh, Declan Brennan uh, is going to be talking about MotoGP in a moment, but I want to bring you in on on this decks. Uh, th- this is something that we've talked about on this show for a while. We are neither um, we are neither pro or anti Max or Lewis on this show. Um, I- I- I've said before I'm not a Lewis fan. I- I- you can't deny his his and Max's uh, skill on the track, but uh, neither of them would be one of my favourite drivers if Curry Cobb was Kes Cobb was asking us about um, that on on Team Talk. It, it, there's a dangerous... To me, there is a dangerous culture of enablement and cosseting and building the team around Max, whereby he absolutely cannot ever be wrong and neither can he do anything wrong because, frankly, he's the best chance we've got of winning a world championship. And even so, he still might not do it because, frankly, his head's not in the right place, kind of attitude from Red Bull. 
Well, I, I can't answer that question because to be consistent with social media, John, you have to ask me a question. That was a statement. So uh, yeah, very good. In, in fairness, so uh, we have to be consistent here. No, no, that's, that's very. That's, from... that, 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 <laughs> that that is that is very good, John Watson. Um, no, I will answer. The, I will answer the question. I will. That, that was a statement. Uh, so, so hang on. No, I will ask you a question. So, the excuse, sorry, the rationalisation that I'm, I'm trying to be um, fair, the rationalisation for Max that Lewis was trying to engage reverse and pull back out and rejoin the race meant he was all right. Is that a reasonable? Is that a reasonable rationalisation of the situation? Yeah, I think you have to take that. You have to take that as a subset of a much larger set of behaviours. Uh, which that are was all a question in fairness they're they're all all uh built on the things you talked about built on a on a culture of entitlement and uh and a blameless uh behavioral uh, what's the word i'm looking for here it's just it, it culturally and and uh permeated throughout the the his side of the garage is this idea that that uh he, he he's he is who he is and he can do whatever he wants and Red Bull will back him and that's kind of very edgy and very Red Bull. I I, I always go back to Could you not say the same thing about Mercedes and, and Lewis though? No, I, I, I don't believe so. I think in this case there's there's a, a because with Red Bull, when you think about uh the the absolute ludicrous length they went to to create evidence for something that hadn't happened, as an example. You know, they literally went to Silverstone and drove around and said, oh, look, look, we're completely blameless because we've completely made up uh, from our perspective what happened in that incident that we got blamed for. Like that, that's the work of mental people, John. And, uh, <laughs> and I'm not, I, I know. I'm, no, it's the, wor- it's the work of desperate people. Yes. And it's, but, but they are, but at the same time, that message, even if it's sent from, a, and the decisions about doing that were sent, were made at corporate level. The message to Max is, do whatever you like. We're, we're good. We're going to back you. But don't... I'll ask this of both of you. And, and Dex is absolutely right. Um, I should be asking questions. Um, and I apologise. <laughs> no, no, no. You were absolutely right. You were absolutely right. And I heard Jim Roller in my head going, have you run out of question marks? Then is there a world shortage? Um, even as I was doing it. Um, I, I, I will put this to, to both of you, though. Um... What, Nick, you first. We said this about the cops' incidents at Silverstone. I'll say the same about about Monza. Max had a quick car, possibly the quickest car on the weekend. They were they were on different strategies in terms of the tyre strategy, and he comes up behind Lewis on cold uh, tyres. Why did he put himself in that situation? He's four points ahead in the championship. Now, you... Okay, so answer that. Because he doesn't have the maturity to work out. Look, all you have to look at, corner four, lap one, they came together, Lewis backed off because in a difficult situation, went over the rumble, lost the position. Because that's maturity, that's a champion, knowing when not to fight the corner. Imola did the same. Did the same. First corner. And he's done it, and he's done it a lot. And, and the only problem is when he decides not to back away, when it's Max being the, I'll use the word aggressor, I don't mean the aggressor, just the, the, uh, the person taking the charge. Max doesn't back off and there ends up being an accident. Right, okay. So, Dex, there yes. are people 
who revere Ayrton Senna for saying, if there's a gap, I'm going to go for it. And so, can I, can I so Max is just doing that, that, though, isn't he? He's just doing yeah, that. Yeah. And he's saying, if, if, if you don't give way to me, then you have to run into me, and then there will be an accident. And frankly, I'm four points ahead in the championship, so it's Prost and Senna at Suzuka. I don't care. It's actually it's actually Senna and Brundle at Alton Park in F3, if you've ever seen the video, because it ended up exactly the same. Uh, Senna on top of Brundle's car, uh, going for a move that he was never going to make because he didn't care. So th those comparisons are actually pretty accurate. Mm. Uh, and, and to do that, you have to completely buy into your own... Uh, uh, your own brand and your own ethos and your own mystique, which uh, is PR. a very dangerous thing to do. Uh, yeah, yeah, and and in Max's cases, you completely buy into everything that that's been how you've been positioned and what's been written about you and who you who you think you are. Mm. And he's not going to win a championship doing that. You're, and uh, Nick is right. You can't. You can't. At some stage, you have to you have to look at the bigger picture in a championship. You have to at some point you have to say, I'm not going to go for that gap because ultimately. There's a bigger prize at the end of this. Uh, and that going for a gap thing is nonsense, by the way. And it gets quoted. I, I couldn't roll my eyes more when I see it in people's uh, Twitter bios. And it's like, my God. So what it should be actually is uh, you're not a racing driver if you don't go for a gap unless you're Eddie Irvin and I leave a gap and he gets past, past me on a laps himself. And then I get annoyed and I have to punch him. That's actually what it really means. <laughs> Yeah, it is, because the, it I is simply, the worst quote in motor racing, Declan, and it causes more trouble than, than any yeah, other. And fanboys love it. And if there's any fanboys listening, I'm not being remotely apologetic. It's nonsense. He was the Chauncey Gardner of Formula One. <laughs> right. So, so, so like anyway, back to, but back to, but, but the point, the main point being that Max is absolutely driving, you're right, is driving like a, 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 like a Twitter feed. Like his Twitter feed, like, and you can't do that. At some stage, you have to be circumspect. How much? And you have how, to think about it. Right. So, how much of this, Nick, though, is down to the way the team is managing him or not managing him? Because somewhere, somebody for his own good, whether it's Jimmy Johnson, whether it is Scott Dixon, whether it is other multiple champions, somebody, if they're not, if the red mist comes down. And the responsible adult, by the way, called this majestically when we were catching up on this on Sunday. And we didn't know what had happened. And the very, very moment that, let's be honest, the whole reason that Max was in that position, because Red Bull messed up his pit stop. Yep. And he was absolutely on fire after that and not in a good way. And he said, I don't know who he's going to run into, but he's going to run into somebody. Yep. Now, how much is the team to blame, not just for getting his pit stop wrong, but for not managing him in the right way? Uh, probably entirely. Because we saw last week um, in the Netherlands, he held off immense pressure, mm. and he has the ability to drive incredibly maturely, incredibly sensibly. Totally agree. He is an aggressive driver. He's been aggressive since day one. He hasn't been clamped down on enough, and he's, he, he's got it, but he's now getting away with it. The interesting thing is, I think there's a very, very good chance he will win the World Championship this year because he has the better car. And I think that will, especially if we do the Mexico-Brazil loop in altitude, where, which is two guaranteed wins for Honda. But he won't win anything else because there's too many good, fast, young drivers who are more sensible than him coming up, and we should get cars more even moving forward. And I don't think he's got the mentality unless he changes um, 
to realise how you win a championship. He will luck into this one from having the best car and in fairness to him, driving well when he's been uncontested. But every single time we've had any sort of coming together, he's either the other drivers back down and he's got away with it or they've come together and there's been a problem. And you can't run that in a more contested championship. Declan, he's he's uh, not a child. He's 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 no, not, not he's not a young he's he should be the finished product at this point. Like there's this the, so what Nick is saying is exactly correct. It there is every possibility that by the time he becomes the finished product, if he ever does, there'll be other drivers who are equally as good as him and as mature and more mature, I, ready to beat him. I want to throw uh, I want to throw a couple of things in here from our collective, who um, are the paragons of virtue here far more than than we could never. Uh, never be. Right Turn Lover says, what I'd like to see is proportional penalties according to the amount of incident responsibility. Interesting. But I think they kind of do that. Um, Matthew Hindman says, Max um, bundles up his self-confidence um, and potentially far too much. I think he believes in his own hype, which is what you were saying, both of you. Dave Alcock, in all seriousness, with F1 seen as the pinnacle of motorsport, Shouldn't Lewis and Max be setting a better example? Um, supposedly the best in Formula One. Do they not have a responsibility to the sport? Yes, but no, because they're all going. They're always going to, you know. It's a, it's a very difficult thing to say to yourself. It doesn't matter. This corner doesn't matter to me that much. In but ultimately, somebody has to. In do In a that. very highly contested competition you are going to get to points in the track where someone has to give way. Yes. They have to engage brain. Currently, the engaging brain has only been done by Lewis. And you can argue whether that was the case at um, Silverstone or not, but certainly every other time he's engaged brain and, and, and let this accident avoid. This time, you know, it was, it was down to very much Max's job to engage brain, and he didn't. You know, the you know, the part of the proportionality is concerned. They gave Max the lowest penalty they could give him, which is a three-place grid penalty, which would be nothing because they were going to go to the back of the grid anyway at uh, Russia uh, to take the engine uh, penalties. And of course, they gave Lewis a twice that. They gave him the second, the second lowest penalty at uh, Silverstone, which I still think was the wrong decision. And and I think this decision could have gone either way, but I'm glad they did it because it might just make him think about it, even though it won't cost him anything in the long run. Um, and but it's it's so the next race, Russia, Sochi. So he's got three. Is he? He's got a three. Three place grid penalty, but they'll take an engine. They'll take penalty. an engine penalty. So engine start from the back. Start from the back. They should yeah. be able to get up to third or fourth. Uh, well, the, the, yeah, because the, the interesting thing is that you know I'll talk about them team by team, but I think the the, the car on a normal track is significantly quicker than everything apart from Mercedes. Significantly. Uh, Kipper Hoffman says, listening live, having re returned and recovered from more nights of camping and merriment at WeatherTech Raceway. Kipper, nice, nice to know that you are in at uh, Specutainment if you are getting on. Uh, I hope there's not going to be this much criticism of uh, Danny Rick and McLaren's win later on in the news. Ah, that was terrible. I don't know how they were allowed to, to win it. Oh, hang on a minute. Who was the FIA steward? Someone who may Tim Mayer, Mayer <laughs> McLaren. I'm just saying mm. that was handy. I'm only kidding, Jack. No, there won't be. We'll have uh, team by team later on in the short. Your thoughts, please. Uh, and I, I, I 
feel like I almost don't have to say this, but I'd spec your tournament. Um, you've been really good about this, as you always, always are. Uh, and congratulations to, to Zach Brown. He, he's already come back with a, a, a very pleasant note to us. Um, he's a big supporter of what we do. And putting uh, Andrea Seidel in the position was a stroke of genius. I would love to say it was because of what he learned at, at, at Porsche, but let's not forget he was BMW F1 before that, Nick. Yep. And took BMW F1 to Porsche and caused a big fight in the canteen, which nobody's ever talked about. Um, <laughs> something to go in I the book. I wonder why that was. Something to go in the book. Uh, I, I, I think. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport. Right, we spent enough time on that. Let's uh, get back to some other quality racing at the weekend. Uh, and the reason that we actually brought Dex in was to talk about the Grand Premio Tiso de Aragon, uh, the Catherine Grand Prix, which saw Francesco Bagnaia uh, take a Stunning victory, Dex, ahead of a hard-charging Mark Marquez, who just, just to spite me, proved me wrong, because I said on last week's show he's going to win because it's a left-handed anti-clockwise circuit, and then deliberately didn't win, I reckon. <laughs> well, I think I think he thought he was going to win as well. Uh, the First of all, we just have to talk about the fact that uh, Francesco Bagnaia finally gets his win, finally gets the debut win that he Super absolutely... Deserved has deserved uh we had mechanical issues in 2020 robbed him of, of victory and uh and weirdly in austria uh, a quarter of a corner more or no quarter of a lap more and he would have he would have won in the west having changed tires uh because he was catching brad binder at such an extraordinary rate so we probably sh- should have seen this win earlier but it's come and and uh weirdly he absolutely deserved it, and and it throws him into the championship mix somewhat, uh, despite his results being slightly all over the place uh, up up to up to now, being very good, and then with some inexplicable lacks a lack of pace on air on race days. But he's he he won the race. He's second in the championship. Uh, he is not out of it. With despite the fact that we only have five races to go, it does make things very interesting, mm. uh, and and certainly Mir finding his form as well. Well, uh, who, I, I, having come third, I, I was going to say, um, uh, and Nick, I'll ask you this: almost a, a race of redemption here. Banaya takes his first. Marquez pushes him all the way. John Mayer is in third for Suzuki. Alex Alicia Spargaro for Grassini is in fourth position. I mean, there's just yeah. good stories all around there, aren't there? Well, yeah, I mean, I think the, 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 the thing I will take away from that race is that is the first time I can remember Mark Marquez stalking a rider for 20 laps and not winning. And that, that's mm. indicative of we have Mark Marquez Mark II, which is not the Mark Marquez of 2000 and, you know, prior to the accident. And, and looking increasingly like that may not come. Even he's saying that may not come back. Um, yeah, Joan Mir got a third, wasn't very happy with it. Alicia Spargo seems to have really put the Aprilia third, fourth, fifth where it needs to be. Quite a bad rear tire dropped to eighth, but he's still many, many points ahead. And, and much like last year, the issue is that no one is putting together a cohesive challenge. They're, they're winning on an individual day, but the only Except, person putting a challenge is Fabio. Yeah, Fabio Quattararo 
And let's talk about Fabio Quartararo, Dex, in, in the context of what we've just been talking about with Max Verstappen. In that here is a young rider, far less experienced in the, in the category that he's racing in, a young racer, far, far, far less experienced in the category he's racing in than Max is, who is under pressure having a championship lead. He could easily buckle under that. Who has not got the bike for this weekend and manages to... He, he dropped down outside the top 10 at one stage, manages to get back to eighth position and keep his championship on track. Not run into anybody, not fall off, not bitch and moan about people, not have an issue with anybody that he might have had an issue with, despite the fact that the first few laps of that race was elbows and knees out everywhere for everybody. I'm now looking at Quateraro going, I knew you were good. I didn't know you were this mature this quickly. Well, it's funny you should say that because I, I, I would agree in terms of maturity, but to me, uh, it felt like he... Uh, he had turned a corner weirdly uh, in Spain when he when he had the arm pump issue, yeah. and the way he handled that felt to me like, oh boy, he's he's going to be all right this year. Uh, and and we had because we had talked at the start of the year about about the mental state of both him and his and his then teammate Maverick Vinales, and one clearly has addressed the issues that he had, and the other hasn't. Uh, Maverick is is uh, uh, having won the first race of the year, uh, as uh, just melted down to the point where he he was sabotaging his motorcycle and got fired by Yamaha, and we'll see how he does now on on the uh, on the Apria. But Quartararo has 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 proved me wrong. I did not expect him to have the mental fortitude and the maturity to do what he's doing. Uh, I think there's been some extenuating circumstances, but I do have to turn into Nick somewhat here, uh, and. And basically say that I'm kind of disappointed with the chasing pack. There's a few frauds in there that uh, that <laughs> need to be have their fingers pointed at. Jack Miller being one of them. Jack Miller is not. I, I'm now. I think the body of work is large enough for me to say that Jack Miller is not good enough. The the most impressive rider to me outside of Fabio has been Lacia Spargaro in what he's achieved with that. Yeah. Aprilia in a, in a oh, one man oh, team oh, the oh, whole time. Oh, can I just say, mm. Ike Lacuna. As well, by the way, he was sensational. He, uh, uh, they need to sack him more often. On yes, the, on the on the tenth twelve KTM. There's a theme about sacked people doing well, isn't it this week? Ah, <laughs> does, but, it, does but, it take the pressure off? Yeah, well, I don't know. How, but I, I just how is he? He's twenty. Ikela is twenty-one years old. Oh, it's old. a ridiculous yeah. situation. They've got and, the and, and, he, and his MotoGP career is effectively over yeah. at this point. Yeah, superbike bound probably now. Well, mm-hmm. well only is... if he can get somebody to take him on, and apparently there's not that much interest. Well, that's not it's it, yeah. Who nuts. knows about professional motorsport sometimes, but yeah, I think Alex Spargo's done really well. I I think for a second year there's been. Oh, a by l- the way, his teammate Daniello Petrucci, he's going off to do uh, rally raid. Yeah, yeah. I mean, finally look, doing something where his weight is not an issue. But you but you look at you look at the the KTM the KTM challenge was there for three races and dissolved, dissolved again. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yeah, we I think sadly uh, Nick, in fairness, and I've been thinking about this a lot. I think it. It dissolved in, in at Assen in free practice one when Oliveira had that pretty significant accident, mm. which shook him up very badly. He's a good car driver, though. 
did uh, next Oliveira did brilliant job in the KTM yeah. GTX yeah, at I'll Barcelona. Just do that instead. Um, I think he's. Yeah, I think but I think he's. He's not. He, he has. He, I, I generally thought he was going to be the, the man to take it to, to yeah. Quadraro and, and mix things up. I think it's going to be Bagnaia. I just think because if you think about Bagnaia's qualifying, it's excellent. He's had some all sorts of crazy things have happened to him and losing laps and 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 there's been uh, where there's been red flags. We've seen him uh, lose all his performance from 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 one thing to another, and then with the rain in in Austria. And, uh, so if you were to Put yeah, a gun to my head and say, "Who's going to take the challenge to Quadraro for the rest of the, it's gonna, of the, the yeah. season?" It's going to it's going to be Bagnaya. It's going to be no one. Certainly. Yeah, but it's going two, to be no one. It's two one four to one sixty one yes. to quote you, and I did actually quote you at the weekend when we were doing something else. Uh, I said Fabio Quadraro can take two races off and go to the beach, and he still yes. he, he actually would still be in the lead by mm. the time he came back. Two one four to one six one one fifty seven. Joan Mia. Um, to the 161 of, of Banaya in second. Zarko, 137. Jack Miller, 129. Uh, Brad Binder, who hasn't had a bad season, in fairness, Brad Binder. Can, can we quick word about Mir, though? Because Mir, Mir ran that race with no... Uh, they, again, they're effectively racing slightly hamstrung by the fact that they elected not to use their squat device. Yeah, uh, he doesn't this, like this, it, this does race. he? Well, he doesn't like it because I just don't believe he's had the time to, to, to get comfortable enough with it. And uh, so they're not running it. And he still, he, he was magnificent in third, to be perfectly honest. I, yeah, I think I think everyone's over-egging Mir because he's the champion. I, I think that I'm not convinced. I wasn't convinced by him last year. He, he got a one win and he just was consistent I, to I, get through. I've got to be honest, I, I don't, don't think the Suzuki's still... I don't think he's got the, the pace. The package. Um, at the moment, they have said that the Suzuki did, were the most honest this year and did nothing to the bike because uh, you're not supposed to officially, obviously. Uh, and they're saying there's going to be great things for next year's versus Suzuki, but I, I, it, you know, Fabio's going to win it and deserves to win it. Yes, second, third, and fourth are up for grabs, but no, you, you sit there going, right, Bagnaya's there. There's five races. No one thinks he's going to win all five of them. No, no, I don't. No, absolutely, I don't. Th- I, I don't believe uh, it, it would be possible to catch him, uh, but I think. Uh, Bagnaya is the big would be the biggest threat. Yeah, yeah. totally agree. I think you need two DNFs, and and he and basically he hasn't he hasn't finished out of the points this season. So d- suddenly I don't think we're suddenly gonna he's gonna start. Uh, although he could do well. In fairness, we have precedents. Uh, we only have to go back a couple of years uh, when uh, when uh, Alvaro Bautista had a 860 billion point lead in a in World Superbike. And somehow contrived <laughs> to lose all of it. Yeah, but the, that was two races a day and seven yeah, rounds. That's no, 14 that's races. But it was, in fairness, the uh, the biggest unnecessarily unnecessary loss since the Wall Street crash. Uh, oh, let, absolutely! It was let, the, he was the world shooting shooting himself <laughs> in the foot champion, which was the only championship he won that year. Yeah. Um, uh, so it's he quatro- nearly lost that too. Quateraros, Quateraros too to lose, but I just honestly. Um, Having seen what happened after him in, uh, uh, you know, last year in France and the pressure that he put on himself, I, I, I think he's a different rider. I really do. Uh, Mortal Two quickly will move on. Um, at the weekend, it was Raúl Fernandez from Remy Gardner from Augusto Fernandez. Fernandez was actually in a different race. I know he really was. Five point four seconds ahead of the field, but Remy Gardner um, backs up what. Everybody has been thinking about him, and all right, his his lead has been cut 
but it's 251 to 212. And um, Marco Bezzecki, who's in third position, Sam Laws fell off in second. Otherwise, he would have done. Um, uh, he actually did Remy Gardner a, a, a solid by falling off while he was in second. I, can I ask a question? Oh. Uh, and, and one I don't profess to know the answer to, but I, I struggle with the idea of. Uh, of uh, of how you race for a championship when you know your seat is already secured next season uh, at the higher level. It, it's it's not conditional on it, it's it's a bit like knowing that you've got your university place regardless of what grades you get. Yeah, it, it's it is it's 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 absolutely it's very odd, uh, and and I, I'm I'm fascinated to see how this this uh, granted. In a similar to to MotoGP, Remy's lead is p- pretty significant, but uh, but it is it is really interesting that they're both, uh, and when we get to it again, uh, this narrative running throughout the show. When we think about uh, the, the way that uh, Max Verstappen races, uh, and we're now getting to the nitty gritty of this, and and does Raúl put himself in a position, he, you know, uh, uh, to uh, cause himself danger, or does he put himself? That might be the sort of thing he needs to do to to get ahead of Remy and win a championship. Yeah. Does he care? Like that's it. It's very very interesting, no. and I and I don't know honestly, don't know the answer. De- I thought a decent uh, debut in Moto Two for John McPhee. Just just about got in the top twenty. And in fairness, there was eleven people who didn't finish that race, but he stayed on the bike. Moto Three was not the usual. Elbows out, but at the front of the field, it was extraordinary uh, with the two Denny's, um, Denny's Fodger and Denise Onshu, uh, Leopard and, and Red Poor Bull. Onshu. Oh, Still man. haven't got a win. I know, Poor by point zero four one oh. of a second. Uh, Fodger um, uh, leading. Don't sleep on him. I no. think this, because this is the thing, he's got the maturity, and, and if anybody's going to throw away a championship, and ironically, another man whose whose future is secure next year in Moto Two, Pedro Acosta. This is the test for Acosta now. And and in, in fairness, you could argue that he failed part the first part of of what is now a, a five part test to finish the championship. Uh, it'd be very interesting to see. If yeah, he, he fell off now. early, didn't he? He did. It'd be very interesting to see if he closes it out. He's 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 incredibly young, obviously, and and this is a massive. Uh, uh, you know, uh, prospect in front of him. So, and there's lots of people who can win, who can beat him every week. And Foggia is, if he just needs to just get a tiny bit more consistent, and maybe that's what he's doing, because he, his MO is normally... Yeah, but Sergio, Sergio Garcia also fell off, who's second in the championship. Yes. Uh, and didn't score any points, so yes, it didn't matter. But um, yeah. I, I thought it was a great race between Foggia and Onchu. Uh, Sasaki in, in third position on... On the podium, as far as the championship concerns, Dex Wright, Pedro Costa leads two hundred one to one fifty five. That's Garcia in second. Foggia up that is third two, ahead that of Fernandez. That is the two race off. You can take the two races off. To, yeah. To which I, I would absolutely, or or just smoke a cigar and toddle around at the back, uh, with your visor open. Which which clearly is what we would do uh, <laughs> if if we had anywhere near the uh, the talent. Uh, just to prove we're live, you listen to Midweek Motorsport. It is. Uh, series 16, episode 36. Uh, it is 3 uh, 1. A 1 1, 3 1, 0 0, 1 2, uh, 1 3 now, uh, and 0 0. Um, oh. So, you know, work those out <laughs> for yourself. Um, but they aren't quite as 
um, as random uh, as it seems. Dex, I I'd like you to stay on for a moment because I want to talk uh, in the, the moments we've got before the top of uh, the, the hour and the changeover um, and with, with a bit of luck and a fair wind, we'll have Parker Thompson on uh, at, the, uh, at the start of the, the, the next hour. Um, Gordon Spice um, sadly yes. died on, on Friday. He'd been battling, um, battling cancer. And a, a name that some people will know and recognise, some people won't. But quite frankly, an absolute giant in our sport. Whether it was Le Mans, where he had, uh, what was it, four four, five class wins and, and three seconds, whether it was in IMSA racing. And this is as a, a driver, an entrant, a manufacturer. He he was the ultimate, ultimate entrant in in, in racing. Oh yes. Uh and and uh let's he he is synonymous with with arguably there's a lot of people listening to this who'd be of my age and there's a lot of people younger who wouldn't necessarily be as familiar but but the the golden age of of group c racing mm. uh middle of the 80s uh the the second class c2 was uh where he he made his uh made his name uh for with a lot Rhea of Bell. us uh, yes and 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 with mark with the lovely mark alvin winning Le Mans yeah. in, in c2 in 85 but uh but but he he uh, he was running his own he was running his own cars or or entering uh, his his Tiger and then running his own and uh, and what what's wonderful is that he means a lot to a lot of different people like if you go back to a, a generation older than mine they'll probably think about him in in those uh, Group Two uh, Capris running uh, at the twenty four hours of Spa in in saloon cars and doing a wonderful job and. Uh, and you could go back even further. And, that was and on the he, old he road <laughs> circuit at Spa. Yes. In, in what, the late 70s, that would have been, yes. in the Belga cars. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And then, and then remarkably, uh, when Ford decided to pull out of their of their proposed Group C project, uh, as a parachute payment to Spice, who was going to be involved, they paid him off, and he he started Spice Engineering, yeah. and and a whole new era of domination of, of, of Group C2, and what was IMSA Camel Lights in, in the North America, including six wins at the Rolex 24 hours in his class. Yeah. And he was just, he was, as Jeremy mentioned it on the show uh, as well, he was, he was in that special class of, of gentleman driver who were exceptionally talented. Agreed. Like, absolutely. Like, uh, like his, his driving talent he, was absolutely exceptional. His last Le Mans as a driver was my first at Le Mans, which was 1989. And, you know, clearly to me, who knew a bit about sports car racing, it felt like it, he was doing something different. And my goodness, I mean, world championships, uh, four world championships between 87 and 92, six IMSA GT championships, as a constructor this is, by the way. Yes. Four Le Mans class wins, five Daytona class wins as a constructor, as a team, Five Le Mans class wins and six Daytona class wins. I mean, just an extraordinary bloke. He got who, he got so close to winning overall. He had oh, two thirds yeah. in over eighty and eighty one as well. With uh, uh, 
uh, all with the, the people with, with Jean Rondo, with Rondo, with Rondo. yes, I, I, yeah. all the people that I've spoken to, nobody's got a bad word to say about him. And frankly, in a in a in a motorsport paddock, that tells you all you need to know about Gordon Spice or Gordy, as everybody uh, used to to call him. Um, and, and I mean, 1973 did the Tour of Britain and came second, by the way, in a Capri GTX, a GTX. He, he was beaten by. Oh God, I should know this. He was beaten by James Hunt in Rich in a Richard Lloyd prepared Camaro, right? Which is like ridiculous, isn't it? That isn't even on the same playing field. And that, and he did he did the Tour of Britain three or four times, and that was his that was his best result in '73 when he came second. And I love I love oh. the fact that he was one of those wonderful British entrants uh, uh, in the days when uh, F1 had had multiple. Uh, invitation non-championship events where they'd invite formerly 5,000 to, to fill up the grid and he would enter uh, his 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 Kitchener Ford with the Chevrolet engine. Yes. Uh, in, in in And uh, that's just, I, I love stuff like that. Absolutely. It's, it's, uh, it's a I different know, era. It's an entirely different era. Oh, yes, I know. As we are. But unfortunately, we, get, we only get to talk about it now when we're talking like this with people well, who, who have died. Uh, tonight... After this show, it's the second part of the Historic Racing News Jaguar special. And there'll be loads of, of, of great stories about people like God, not God in this respect. But, oh, my goodness, those guys do such a, a great job. That's in about just over an hour's time. Well, John, I listened back uh, not that long ago, I, a few days ago. I listened back to the, the chat we had about Hannah Mickler. Yes. And it did come off the back. The it was time. literally the week after... The, the death of Fausto Cressini. Yeah. So, uh, and so we were basically doing two, we did two uh, 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 tributes back to back. And you said at the time, we need to do these when people are still alive. And yeah. I'm, I'm proposing that we find time to do some sporadic podcasts just where we chat about people we like who aren't dead, in fairness, uh, because it needs to happen. We, we shouldn't be be doing this now uh, it's it, I, in I these totally circumstances agree. well thank goodness we've got the guys from historic racing news who still look back fondly on, on what's going on and, and paul and the team will be on uh, tonight after us as i say with the second part of their um jaguar special i heard the first part with bill adam shears dad on it and it was oh if you haven't heard it it's it's on uh, radio le mans radio uh, uk. it's on the archive it's absolutely uh, outstanding uh, I, I want to take um, a, a couple of tweets in a second, but uh, before I do, just want to say um, Gordon Spice, huge in the sport. However, we always like to remember those perhaps who aren't quite as well known. And I'm indebted to Fergus Watling for, for letting me know that a proud Norfolk boy, Henry Fairhead, who was a scrutineer for many clubs for decades, never happier than when he was working. Um, at the HSCC events. Favourite with his, uh, the team competitors and, and pit and starting marshals. Always be able to lift spirits. Always able to lift spirits with a comment and joke whenever you saw him. And he will be much missed around paddocks. It's not just about those who have a Wikipedia entry. It's about the people who keep the sport going. It's, and it's uh, The silent heartbeat of the sport is uh, the people, the the. The, the volunteers, the marshals, the scrutineers, absolutely, all the people who do it, do it are all the organising clubs who, none of which are professional, but do put on professional events week in week out. Whether it's road, 
stage rallying or sprints or or hill climbs yeah. they're amazing people and uh, they they keep the sport alive and uh, and as and as much as we offer our condolences to uh Gunn's Spice's wife uh, and son we also do to Henry Fairhead and all of his friends uh their friends uh, across uh, and family across not just the bloodline but also across uh, across paddocks all over the UK and further afield. Uh, very quick tweet. Dex, thank you very much indeed. Uh, thanks for being with us tonight. Um, uh, James, My pleasure. James O'Donnell says, love to hear about Gordon Spice, the name who represents the spirit of motorsport. Sticky Marley says, Max Holdier felt like he's been watching an entitled kid play on a skilled sports team with parents who attend every game and go ballistic whenever the kid frowns or misses a shot. Uh, that he usually makes the backyard. I root for both, um, as Max is my birthday twin. It's nine o'clock. We move into hour number two. Please report any unattended bags to a member of... Oh, hang on. <clears throat> Wrong script. Is Midweek Motorsport and still to come. <laughs> still makes me laugh that. Thanks to Declan Brennan. Uh, still to come, we'll have Shea Adam with the... Visit Cayman Island Sports Car Update. She'll also give us some US news as well. Nick Damon has the uh, F1 team by team, which might be a bit spicy and a bit orange, uh, but not that orange potentially uh, this week. Uh, we'll also have some more of your tweets, please, on at Specutainment. Uh, and we've got a film review as well to squeeze in as well before 10 o'clock tonight. But next, it's our big interview, and the technology's working. I promised you a driver from the Porsche Carrera Cup North America, and he's on the line waiting for us. It's Parker Thompson from JDX Racing, next. Midweek Motorsport on RS1. Well, delighted to say that, as promised, we have got Parker Thompson uh, on the line. Uh, welcome back to the Radio Show Limited Network of Channels, although this time on Midweek Motorsport Parker. How are you? John, thank you so much for having me. I'm fantastic. How about yourself? Uh, listen, having uh, had the weekend uh, watching and talking about you guys in Porsche Carrera Cup North America presented by Visit Cayman Islands, I'm, I'm still coming down from that, and I was only watching... And talking about it with Bruce Jones, uh, what a weekend! The Porsche Sports Car Together Festival, uh, with you guys as the as the headline act. Three fast moving, fast paced, super and uh, entertaining races for you. First of all, what was it like being at the at the speedway? Well, John, uh, you know my background being from Formula Cars, so uh, anytime you get to go back to the speedway, it's it's funny. When I made the transition to sports cars, I thought. I might not ever get to uh, to grace the racing capital of the world again. I know they've got uh, the eight-hour race here that comes uh, in the fall, but you know sometimes you just never get that uh, race back on your calendar. So my first year out of uh, Formula Cars full-time, to be able to come back to IMS and, uh, and cross the Yard of Bricks again was a pretty special. The track that you guys used, the layout that you used, wasn't exactly the same as I was watching the Indy cars. It had the little hairpin in the, on the start of the, the infield section where I think the Indy cars just went through the little wiggle there. Uh, quite, a, quite an interesting compromise, I would have thought, because you've got that long run onto the front straight and down to turn one, but quite technical on the infield section. 
really technical. And, and I have to say my hat's off to uh, Porsche Motorsport North America and, and, and IMS for making that call. Obviously, uh, if anybody's a NASCAR fan, they, they probably saw the mess of what NASCAR was going through that chicane um, when you had to hop the curbs. They had uh, a lot of <laughs> late race crashes. So I think they made a great call for us to use the uh, what I call the horseshoe or, or you call that infield hairpin. Yep. And honestly, that's the first time I ever got to drove that track layout, drive that <laughs> track layout. And it was, I think it added way more to the track. Um, you know, before it was, you had the, the section at one end of the track and the section at the other, and then two long straights in between. And now it actually, you know, like you already said, there was compromise in your setup. Um, it wasn't just about taking all the rear wing out of it, making the thing go as fast as it could down the straight, and then hanging on to the two ends. It was actually a compromise, which um, it presented more passing opportunities, as you guys saw. I mean, it made it way more exciting to drive. I I like the I like the format. I've got to say we haven't typically seen three race weekends, triple head weekends, but obviously that was that was required, um, necessitated by the issues about not being able to go north the border to to support Indy, and so necessity has literally become the mother of invention here because there'll be another triple header at Matulpatilamon. Uh, at at Michelin Raceway Road, Atlanta. How did how did it feel as a driver? Because that single qualifying session, it's your best lap for race one, your second for race two, your third for race three. Although you, there was an opportunity to improve, you got a better race lap there. That, that's an awful lot of pressure over that that one qualifying session. Well, and take it from a guy that. Um had it in the first two sets of tires and lost it on the third set of tires. I love the format. I think that we should try and do triple headers more often. Um, wow. Okay. You know, most of our qualifying sessions, honestly, John, are, are fairly straightforward. There's not really a lot of strategy behind them in terms of almost everybody does two sets of tires because you're allocated three sets of Michelins for the race weekend. And it's more advantageous to have the track position rather than the tire degradation of, of using those sets and qualifying and then having to carry them over for the race. Indy, though, was a huge toss-up. And, I mean, JDX and I stayed till, I mean, we were done practice on Friday at, uh, I want to say, 5 o'clock. We stayed to the track till probably 9 o'clock, still going over just tire really? strategy on really? what we wanted to do. Because it's so important. That was the race weekend was qualifying. And with Carrera Cup's um, strategy behind how they give out points, you know, those poles are what is going to win whoever wins the championship that that is it's going to come down to the pole points um you know you look you get 30 points for a race win but you get five points for a pole so you look at seb on the weekend obviously uh, tip of the cap to him for qualifying he got 15 points just for his poles you know that's that's basically a race dnf <laughs> so the points in in getting a pole are extremely important and i think for the fans that was and of my entire career, that was the most exciting qualifying session I've ever been a part of. Three sets of tires, and we could barely squeeze the three sets in the, uh, I believe it was the 25-minute yeah. or 30-minute qualifying yeah. session. And it was, we calculated it. I mean, we had to calculate the pit lane. We had to calculate everything into it. Um, and we barely got those three sets of tires done in the allocated time for qualifying. Uh, so pretty exciting as a driver. I've never done in my career three back-to-back -back new tires that's something completely new for me <laughs> so a lot of fun um and i think uh i think we should try and do it if we can i think we should keep that going how do you think that'll translate then to 
uh, Michelin Raceway Road Atlanta, very different type of, of circuit. And I, I, I noticed that you guys were getting on the push lap straight away after they, it wasn't an out lap, uh, a tyre prep lap. You were straight in. Now, obviously, time constraints there. Will you be able to do that as well at Road Atlanta, do you think? Well, that, that is an awesome question, John. And you're pretty switched on when it comes to watching those uh, time cards because that played a huge part in Indianapolis for whatever reason. And I, we've had long discussions, uh, my engineer and I, about it. Um, in Indianapolis, there was the tires switched on right away, yeah. whether it be the weather. Uh, but we've had races just as hot. I think it was just a, a mashup of you know, the Michelin compounded tire with uh, IMS. It's a pretty unique pavement because half the pavement the speedway pavement, which is braking for turn one and braking for turn 12, is a grained pavement mm-hmm. for the IndyCar guys on the oval. And then the other part of all the pavement on the infield is a different kind of grade of pavement. It's not grained like the speedway is. Interesting. So I don't know if it's that that switched the tires on quicker, but you're so right. You know, you go to Road America or other races, you need to do a prep lap or yeah. you hurt the tire too much. Yeah. And it's really interesting to see how that played into our strategy because it was not advantageous to do a prep lap at Indy. Whereas at Road Atlanta, I'm going to assume that it's probably we're going to need to do a prep lap to get the tires ready. So, you know, that's taking away those crucial minutes. And then the other thing that was interesting about IMS was there was no, um, it seemed like there was no opportunity for a cool down and a push again. Yeah. You could never really get that time back where... You look at Watkins Glen and other places, there was that opportunity where people could do one set of tires in qualifying and they qualify for their two races um, with the first and second fastest laps being close together. Where Indy, there was an outright fastest lap. And that's, to get into a little bit of detail, on my third set of tires, um, it's just the luck of the draw when you've got 30 cars on a a tight circuit like IMS. And I didn't get two clean laps. We, We spaced ourselves, ran into traffic, and that was the the two tenths we needed for qualifying. But what was really interesting, and I, I want to explain it too for the fans because I find it exciting. Um, obviously, you've got laps one, two, and three. Your first fastest laps are what sets the grid for races one, two, and three. But what's interesting when you think about it is when you set one new outright fastest lap, it bumps your second and third fastest lap up to the Correct. time, right? Correct. Yes. So, it was, you know, we had an Excel sheet at JDX Racing, and we're going through <laughs> how these times, you know, one guy put in, Seb, put in one more fastest lap, and then it bumped his second and third to beat me out for pole for race two and three. So yeah. it was just, a, you know, the highs and lows in 25-minute qualifying session was pretty cool to, to was- experience, and... Hopefully it was cool for the fans. There was a lot of scribbling of, of notes um, here in the Haggerty Global Broadcast Centre. I can tell you <laughs> that um, that I was doing qualifying on myself. Bruce Jones was helping out at the weekend, but there were a couple of, of crossovers where we were each doing sessions on our own. It just so happened that I did the qualifying on my own. And... Um, it was all written in pencil, let me put it that way. It's getting scrubbed out and, and started well, again. Well, and it was... And if you think it was written in pencil for you, I mean, I'll give you a little insight. You know, we thought that Kelly Moss historically this year have been really good um, in qualifying. Yeah. They've kind of always had this one or two tenths on on JDX, on, on most of the other teams in the paddock. So our qualifying strategy was uh, we were going to go to three tires no matter what because we were thinking, you know, that third set could change the, the format. Well, yes. 
lo and behold, I went out and posted the first set of tires. We were pole for all three races. Hmm. And we watched Kelly Moss switch their strategy right as they, they were pitted right in front of us. And it almost backfired on us mm-hmm. because we were on the three tire. And I think they were going to be originally on a two tire strategy. Yeah. Um, and then we forced them to the three and it was a complete shootout. We'll talk about the races in in a second, but generally speaking, have it's been I've enjoyed watching it. Um, have you enjoyed being part of the Porsche Carrera Cup North America presented by Visit Cayman Islands? Yeah, I think this championship is fantastic. Mm. Um, the cars, you know, I'll give you a little insight, John. I um, JDX and I have a limited testing budget this year, so actually ahead of IMS. Um, I have some friends at another team in ACI Motorsports yep. and Kurt Swearingen, and we we struck a deal with a, a coaching uh, to move forward. I went out and helped them at the IMS test and got some time behind the wheel. Smart boy. Of yeah, of the ACI Motorsports machine with Kurt Swearingen, and what I was blown away with, it was the second 992 that I've driven. I couldn't believe how evenly matched these cars are oh, yeah. and how similar they feel car to car, and that's. You know, for non-Porsche fans, that's not something historical in spec racing. In spec racing, I found, because that's been most of my Formula car career, you know, you if you hop car to car, you need the cars to be set up a little different. Every car has its own char- characteristic, yeah. its own way that it likes. And um, that's what I love about this series is, number one, how evenly matched the cars are. Number two, how good the racing is, you know. Um, with the formula car stuff and, and different background with aero, yes, this 992 has good aerodynamics, but it doesn't prevent the racing. Like, no. you know, if you qualify on pole in the series, you're not guaranteed to win like you are in other spec formulas or other spec uh, spec racing. Where here, it is a battle. I mean, um, it's it's just a ball of fun. I haven't had this much fun in racing in my entire career. I mean, this year has been. And, and I think that shows, and I haven't qualified on pole yet, which still baffles me a little bit. But we've won three races. We've, you know, we led the most laps at IMS on the weekend. We're, we're competing for wins, even though we didn't qualify on pole. And I, I think that just shows the competitiveness of the series. Well, and unusually, uh, a bit of a shakeup uh, at the front of the field at the weekend. You, you, your starts were outstanding and uh, contributed to you get, getting a haul of points at the weekend. And the, the two Kelly Moss drivers that you're chasing with your JDX Porsche, uh, Kai van Berlo had a weekend to forget having come in as the championship leader. And I, by the way, I said this in commentary and I say it now, I can't remember any Porsche having the kind of issues that he had. And I can't remember the last time I had to, uh, I, I heard that one had to have their engine changed not through accident damage so kai had a horrible weekend that he'll want to forget still very much in the championship fight seb had a good weekend going with his three poles then got taken out by riley dickinson in one of the races and fought i mean did well fought back to sixth you get a great i'm you know if if there was a if there was a, a a trophy for who gets the most points over the weekend you would have you would have taken it you're right back in the championship hunt now parker no it was good and obviously, I, I'm sure the question will come a little bit later on, on race three. Um, you know, if we went out and won race three, I think I would have, you know, once you get in the lead of the race, I think we had control of it. If we won race three, I think I'd be solidly saying we are, 
we are going for this championship. And it's not that I'm giving up by any means, but obviously um, I think off the top of my head, we're about 55 or 56 points back, which is a chunk. Um, We've been there before. Uh, I'm just going to keep, keep to the status quo and go after wins and and do what we're doing. Keep bringing the car back to the JDX guys, let them straighten it up and, uh, and keep going for wins again. So that's the, that's the goal for the end of the year. Um, Obviously we're third in the championship. We're right on Kai's heels for second. And we'll see Seb, um, you know, if you would have told me Seb would have come out with a dominant lead after IMS, I would have, uh, I would have called you a liar because we all look so close and and Kai had a pretty good lead coming into IMS. So that's the other thing of this championship is um, how much it moves. (laughs) It's moved back and forth a few times this year. And, and, you know, you don't want your competitors to, to have bad luck. You don't want them to be taken out. You want to be racing with them. But with three more races to come at a circuit that is so unforgiving as Michelin Raceway Road Atlanta, Parker, there is a chance for a big swing on that weekend. Yeah, and VIR is going to be a really interesting one. I mean, obviously, we've got two rounds left. And then the other thing, too, John, and it's it's really played, I think, into this championship. Um, and maybe my competitors are used to it or not. I know I'm not very used to it, but... You know, to start a season in March and then end it in November, yeah. that is a long time between the races. And it it's tough to get momentum behind you and your team when there's a For month sure. and a half break between the races, right? You kind of forget that you won the last race. Um, so you, it's really interesting to see how that plays on uh, on the different Porsche Juniors in this series. How how do you how do you view VIR then, which is the 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 next race in uh, next two races in October, uh, big wide open spaces there. But tr- again, track limits aren't. We were talking about this about Laguna Seca at the weekend and the other part of the IMSA weekend that we were covering. That you don't hear anybody talking about track limits at Laguna Seca because if you drop a wheel off there, it's slowing you down. It's very similar at VIR. Um, Jim Roller, great colleague of ours. Um, once said there were consequences without catastrophe for the most part at at VIR because you get on the grass you're going to lose time does that benefit a particular style of driving someone who's precise Parker? yeah no I think it definitely benefits uh guys who are consistent and precise obviously um you know VIR is one of those places too where you really have to check yourself um it's a high commitment place right mm. I mean You've got the S's, you've got these high rising, low falling, lots of elevation. And it's when I say high commitment, especially in a sports car, um, the entry of the corner is where you get all of the rotation and turning done, especially for those, you know, those high elevated corners. And you're kind of along for the ride for the rest of the corner. If you don't get it right on the entry, um, (laughs) there is no saving it. Uh, So I think it definitely benefits um, guys that are more precise. I think you hit that on the head and. And I'll put my my name in the hat on that one for being one of the more precise guys out there. So, hopefully, fingers crossed. What what y- you've said, you would have liked to obtain a few more points from the weekend. You didn't do badly, but you're right in the championship hunt, as we've said, with still what five five races to go. So, still plenty of points there. Um, what would you like to come away with from from this year, if if you say the championship might be? A little bit further out of reach. Can you can you pip Kai for second? Can you put some pressure on Seb? What what are you looking for? And and does the junior program play into your thoughts here? 
Definitely. That's a, a really good question. Um, and I think, you know, the results this year have spoken for themselves in a lot of ways. Um, you know, what I've been able to do with JDX Racing is something that I'm super proud of because we haven't come in here with, you know, a ton of testing budget. Um, you know, we've really had to grind our way to the top. And, and JDX Racing, there's I stand by this. There's not a group of harder working guys over there. Uh, my engineer, Luke Goldenstein, the amount of late nights we've put in, and it shows. I mean, at Watkins Glen, we were nowhere, literally. I was hanging on to get a fifth place. And in one race weekend, we turned it around at Road America, and we went out and won a race on merit. Um, so I think um, what I want to take away from this year is to prove to teams um, in IMSA WeatherTech and, and around the world that I'm a guy that can help develop a car that can speak good off the track and keep sponsors around and interested. And then on his day, he can go out and win the races that he needs to win to, uh, to get a job and, and be a professional race car driver. So regardless where I finish in the championship, I just hope that I come out of it with people knowing uh, who Parker Thompson is and, and what he's about in sports cars. And we've talked about this before, but I'll, I'll finish up with, with this thought. Never say never, obviously, because if somebody tapped you on the shoulder and offered you a decent formula car drive, yeah. And, you know, you're not going to turn it down, particularly if you've got nothing else on that weekend. But do you see your future now in in GT cars and endurance racing, Parker? Well, I think, John, the momentum is, has really shifted. Um, mm. If you look at, you know, the new LMDH and, and all the things going on in sports cars across the world in IMSA and WEC, it's pretty exciting. And I, there is more jobs in the IMSA paddock uh, <laughs> than there's probably been in the last decade of Formula Cars. That's a bad point. So yeah. I think, um, you know, I'm looking at the future of wanting to win races, but also have a career and make a living out of motorsports. Um, sports cars is the, that's the ticket for a guy like me. You know, we, we talked about that on our last midweek motorsports that um, my eyes have really opened up. But it's not just a, it's not a monetary thing. It's a, I want to put myself in the best position to go win races. Um, and I've fallen in love with these new formats of, you know, somebody mentioned this to me and it, it is pretty funny because I'm fighting these guys pretty hard in the championship. You look at Kai, Seb, Riley, you know, luckily I've kept my nose clean with most of them, but a lot of us are, you know, roughing each other up on the racetrack. And in a year or two, there's a good chance they could be in a car with you. <laughs> and that's just something you don't even think about in formula cars because, your formula car teammate is still the first guy you want to beat. And your sports car teammate really, I think a lot of the times becomes family for that year. You're yes, with them good because point. you have to save their back. They have to save yours. You know, there's no sense pointing fingers when you're driving the same car and you're trying to win a race together. So, um, I've really fallen in love with the camaraderie of, of sports cars, what it's all about. Um, you know, we went over this, that, there's so many guys like myself that maybe didn't have the budget to make it to the IndyCar Formula One, and they went the sports car route. It is, we talked about this, you know, Porsche, I can't pay the money to be a Porsche race car driver. No. Uh, I like, I like <laughs> that I comment. The, I like that comment the last time. We, yeah, I like yeah. that comment the last They've time. Gotta, yeah, very so good. So I think that excites me. That's a, a totally new challenge that I'm uh, enthralled with. So you're sitting in third behind Van Berlo, who's 44 points. Uh, behind Seb Prior, got to ask you about the 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 start of race three. Uh, you're not the first person to have been caught out by this in IMSA. There's been some big names, and we've we've had a duty with changing lanes at the at the start. Uh, and the it started all the way 
back at the start of the season. I seem to remember somebody getting uh, pinged for it at uh, at Sebring, actually, in the WeatherTech uh, in the WeatherTech event. Um, it's something that the that race control's been very very hot on this year. W was that just you forgetting about that? Was it a mistake? Did you just go for a gap and 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 did you realise that you'd done it even? Well, okay. Um, I have a lot of respect for Randy Buck, our, our race director. Um, I think he's done a great job this year, even with the penalty that I got. Um, I'm going to explain my side, and, and for the IMSA fans, I want to state that uh, I still don't believe that I broke the rule. Okay. The rule for IMSA is it's the lane rule, correct. But I didn't cross over into Seb's lane. There was a gap there, if you go watch the replay, where I could have tucked in behind Seb because yep. Riley um, was obviously a car length behind. So I didn't break the gap rule. What I was told before the start of the race, and I'll tell you Seb's side of it too, because Seb, uh, he's actually, for being a competitor, I'm pretty close with him. And I knew exactly what he was doing every race start. If you watched how he comes onto the front straightaway, he goes right up against the pit wall. Yeah. And the reason he does that is because if he doesn't get a good jump, Third place can't draft by him on the inside. Yeah. So he's he he wants to be along the pit wall. Yeah. Randy, I think, got a little confused on the first two races, especially when I went around the outside of Seb on the, the second race, um, that he thought that I was trying to squeeze Seb down to the pit wall. Ah, uh, yeah. And, and going into the third race, he told me that I'm not allowed to cross the halfway track point. Um as I'm coming to the start finish, which I was fine with. And if you watch race three, um, you'll see the whole field's confused because I'm now way on the other side of the track. There's, <laughs> there's four cars between Seb and I, as we take the green flag, which kind of looks strange. You don't see that in professional racing. Um, but the green flag comes out and I resumed to move over to Seb, uh, because the race had started. And that was deemed um, this this changing lane. But I guess my point with, with Randy and, and in the conversations I've had with my team, um, in a perfect world, on IMSA starts, you don't have four car lengths between two rows of cars. No. You know? Um, so, listen, it, it is what it is. I think if you ask Seb, um, I was a gentleman to him on the pole every single time. We no. never made contact in turn one once. Um, no I way. Think no way. Even when I ran... Exactly. So I think that the Porsche Carrera Cup actually probably had their cleanest starts the whole season with Seb and I on the front row controlling what we needed to do. Um, it was just one of those things where it was, I did the first two race starts right next to Seb where you should be about a half a car apart from each other. So there was no, there was no uh, lane to change because I was already next to him. And then when I was asked to start on the other side of the track to prevent squeezing him down, it looks like I changed lanes because, um, it just is what it is. It's one of those things where um, you have to call it. If you look at uh, all of my championship competitors, uh, just about everybody at the front has got a drive-through penalty. So I know Kelly Moss has been hot on my heels. To I know the race directors have had a lot of uh, pressure on them to make sure that I'm playing by the rules too. And by the letter of the law, if you want to call me a change the lanes, I change the lane okay. coming to the start. And it's just one of those deals where in a perfect world, it never would have I never would have had to move over to him, right? I would have been starting next to him because you should be allowed to start next to uh, the front row. Yeah. But here we are. Um, there's no heart feelings. It's it's racing. I've been through this before. That's what you have to deal with as a professional race car driver. And uh, we move on from it. We're hungrier than ever.
and, and move on to VIR, as I said. What do you know about VIR? And uh, do you have any experience there? Have you been able to do with your tight testing budget with JDX? Have you been able to do any testing in the Porsches? And, and uh, you know, if whether yes or no, what do you expect from the beautiful Virginia International Raceway? I, I, I the first time I drove it, I was thrown into one of the 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 pace cars on a course opening lap and told to drive and stay two two cars lengths between myself and patty mayer who was uh, out in in front there having never seen the thing before and i couldn't believe the circuit and i can't still can't believe there is bikes there as well that is completely bonkers what do you know of vir well it's funny john i i i've never raced a series there ever mm. i've but I have done more coaching at VIR just really? in <laughs> off the track stuff. Yeah, um, it's a it's a track that I've coached at a ton. I've had the uh, opportunity to drive a couple limited laps there, and I can already tell you it is probably one of my favorite tracks uh, that I've driven in North America. And mm. usually, as a race car driver enjoys a track, he usually does pretty good there. So mm-hmm. I'm greatly looking forward to it. Um, JDX Racing and I are working hard. We definitely want to try and go test there. So okay. that's on me. I'm, I'm working on some sponsorship deals to uh, make sure that I give everything I can to uh, to get some test time. And I suspect we've got this number nine JDX Racing car. Uh, it's working pretty good for us. You know, from Road America to Indianapolis, we we had to change a couple things, but we've got it in a window where I'm really happy with it. So. I can't see that not translating over to VIR. I, I I love the fact that we're talking to you in a in a full pro class of a full pro series now as Porsche Carrera Cup North America presented by Visit Cayman Islands. And you're still talking about having to raise money to go and do a test and you're fighting for a, a championship. I, I, I think I, I need to make that point and I'm just going to leave that hanging there. Don't expect you to, to comment about that part, but I'm going to just leave that hanging there for our listeners just so that they know how hard these drivers and Parker in particular is working to get himself uh, through this part of his career and my hat's off to you uh, Parker for that listen great stuff at the weekend say hi to to Jeremy Dale and Harrison Bricks when you uh, when you next see them and uh, pass on all of our best through the paddock as well it's been fantastic being able to call the races and last weekend was was uh, uh, was no different to that, and I can't wait for VIR and and then the three header, the triple header at uh, Michelin Raceway Road, Atlanta. We wish you all the best, and as I always say, you know what I'm going to say: enjoy it and race well and be safe. John, thank you so much for getting me on, and and for all of the fans of Midweek Motorsports, thank you guys for listening. You know, you guys sharing our story is is what keeps us racing. So we couldn't do it without the fans. Thank you very much, and and hope to speak to you after VIR. I'm very envious, Parker. Thank you very much indeed. That's Parker Thompson from JDX, uh, part of the Porsche Carrera Cup North America, presented by Visit Cayman Islands. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport at Series 16, episode number 36. Uh, thanks very much to uh, to Parker for being with us uh, at the, for the big interview uh, tonight. And uh, 
also we couldn't have done that without Tom Moore uh, as well um, this is the film review music Nick Damon has been watching a motorsport inspired movie about someone who changed the face of Formula One who uh, frankly brought an emotion uh, emotional element of Formula One that we hadn't seen before it was all about you Nick it's yes. called Schumacher yes. and it's all about you you watched it this afternoon yes. I did it's now you're in it aren't you it's now in 52 minutes it reaches absolute crescendo about an hour and a half in when I'm in it for um, as a disembodied voice for the very famous uh, press conference where he broke down in tears in Monza in the year 2000 um, now th- this is this is an interesting it's a very interesting concept because the Schumacher family, Corinna, his his wife, has has resisted uh, for how many years is it now since he had his accident? It's what? coming up to eight. Right. Okay. Um, wow. Has resisted any kind of media and press interest. Mm. They have deliberately not answered questions, um, and then the movie comes. Out. What yeah. have we learned, if anything, from it? Um, I think the first thing is that, in general, it's a positive impression, but it's not a whitewash. Um, if we look at the more controversial parts of the, the Schumacher legacy, um, the '94 incident with Damon is. Oh, so that's in there. It's yeah, it's in there. It's in there in a so way. So it's about his racing career, not what's happened since. Hundred percent. There is an hour and fifty minutes. The last twelve minutes are post the accident. Right. So it's actually, it starts, like all good documentaries, it starts in 1991 with his debut in Belgium and then goes back to show his early stuff, which is by far the most interesting stuff for most sport fans. You've never seen it before, his karting career and how he came up. Unfortunately, it does gloss over the sports cars a bit for uh, for me with motorsport listeners, but it's it's interesting. Then goes through his career. Interestingly, the, the focus of the whole documentary basically ends at the year 2000. So you get to year 2000, it's about five minutes of the following 10 years, including the comeback with Mercedes. And then it goes to his, um, his unfortunate accident. So it's an interesting pace program. I don't understand what it is. They, they've decided to make the focus his, his attempts to win the championship with Ferrari once, you know, for the first time after a number of gaps. Um, it's, yeah, so the, so the key points, they do kind of go very light on the Damon Hill issue. Damon's actually in it, and Damon kind of, rather than outright saying, yeah, he took me out, saying, you know, well, you know, if my championship rival was coming up the inside, I don't know if I'd have turned on them. I don't know if he did deliberately with that look saying he did. Um, when they get to the 97 problem with uh, Jacques Villeneuve, they, they go into it in great depth, and, he, and the blame takes the blame on. They, they examine his uncompromising personality and it is really a, a fascinating insight into what I think in many ways we already knew is the two dichotomies of Schumacher's personality the absolutely ruthless I am never wrong racing driver and the genuinely lovely family man social guy terrible dress sense but lovely family man and uh, and so yeah he was yeah he was always yeah I must have worked with him I you know, found he was a really really great guy um it's it's got a lot of stuff going for it. It's it's interestingly the one thing I would say it has the worst music I've ever heard. So not like this. No, it is. If you imagine the cheapest lifetime movie about someone's had a tragic accident. Oh no, really? And then you run that music the whole way through. Uh, it's, and is there a voiceover? No, it's done. It's done in general talking heads. It's done in the Asif Kapadia way, but nothing like as good as Asif Kapadia. This is a much more by the numbers documentary, much more a fan environment. So you could put you look at Senna, you look at Amy. They're much more 
filmatic, much more have a theory. This is, this is this, let's go through, let's tell the story with some great shots. Um, if what does it say about Postis accident? Because yeah. a lot of the stuff that I've read about it is about Corinna saying Michael's still here, he's still having a family life, and we've moved well, on. It's really, really interesting because what you don't get is a picture of him post accident, you don't get a shot of him in whatever current situation he's in. However, if you listen to what they say, you know what the situation is. And that's all I'd say. People are going, oh, it's a, why, this, why we don't see him. Why, why do you need to see a man who's obviously not well? And if you listen to what they say, you know I where never, he is. I never understood people saying his fans need to know. Who was that who said that? Well, that you know now. If you listen to the words from Corinna, from uh, Gina Marie, from, from Mick, you know exactly the situation. Gina Marie and Mick being his, his, his children. You can just, the, the emotion that's involved in that, he is obviously non-verbal and he is... Is it worth watching? If you're a motorsport fan, absolutely. There's lots of stuff in there that's really, really... Is, I mean, was the stuff there that you had oh, seen? Yeah, loads of stuff. Yeah, and, like and you, the you weren't stuff. in it in vision. No, no, no. I was just in voice. voice. I don't know. For some Hardly reason, worth for some reason they, they showed the question where he broke down in tears. Then they showed the second question, which was just me chatting to Mika before Mika moved it on, which I was thinking, well, is, is that meant to be kind of indicative of the terrible pressure the press put him under? It's a live program to 65 million people. You can't just sit there watching a man cry forever. One day I'll give you the whole story of that because that's about a five-minute, ten-minute story about everything that was going on in my ears during that, that, that conference. But it's not about me. It's about Michael Schumacher. Um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's well worth seeing. It's an interesting insight into who he is. I don't think it tells you anything new, but it does show you pictures you've not seen before. And if you like motorsport, and especially if you, if you like motorsport of that era, and especially want to find out a little bit more of where he came from, which is the most interesting part as far as I'm concerned, well worth it. Okay. Uh, thanks very much for the moment, uh, Nick. Uh, and let's move on to uh, our Cayman Islands uh, sports car news. And Shay Adam is with us for that. Hello, Shay. Hello. Visit Cayman Islands sports car news. Um, let's start. Where will we start? It was a busy weekend, but we've kind of covered some of that off. Uh, so let's talk. We'll we'll talk about IMSA in a, a moment. Uh, we've got what we've we got at the weekend. We got Spa at the weekend. As far as the European Le Mans is concerned, yes, 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 we do. And there is a sizable driver change as far as that is concerned. Couple, Notable, yeah. I should yeah. say. Yeah. Um, the, the biggest one being Gustavo Mezas who has was sidelined after Le Mans. He was the, the guy left standing when the musical chairs stopped at Glickenhaus. Oh, yes, good uh, point. He, he has found a seat in anticipation of driving with Peugeot next year in their hypercar. Uh, two races left in the ELMS this year. Gustavo Menezes joining uh, for the ELMS with G-Drive Racing in the number 25 machine that has already been victorious a couple of times this year. So he's taking the seat of Roberto Mary to join Roy Andrade and John Falb for that car. Mm. Also, uh, Cool Racing has uh, Charles Malesi jumping in as well to the 37 car, apparently. Oh, that's going to be a good addition for them. The the Lamar winner finding a spot in the ELMS. I thought that he was supposed to be with WRT for the remainder of the t uh, year, but they're only WEC, right? Correct. Exactly so. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and so he is now set, I think it's his first ELMS run of the season. Uh, yeah. He'll be with uh, 
uh, Nico Lapierre and Alexandre Coigny. Well, Ooh. that that looks like a pretty solid squad to me. Yeah. Very much so. And and that squad, it, correct me if I'm, I'm misremembering, but I feel like more often than not, they have run two drivers um, mm. that are less good. I, I want to put it better than that, but I can't think of anything. Where Nico Lapierre has been the anchor. Yeah. Um, bringing in Charles Malesi is going to swing that the other way. And Alexandra Cogni might just come away with a win here this weekend. Uh, that is, of course, uh, qualifying and the race and the uh, Michelin Le Mans Cup as well. That will be covered in sound and vision here on RS1 at the weekend. It'll be Johnny Palmer and Graham Goodwin bringing you that from the circuit spot. Uh, weather could be... In- it's sparse. What am I saying? But the weather could be an issue at the weekend. There's a nasty bit of uh, um, a low pressure that's just settling over the north coast of Europe. And uh, the anticyclonic uh, weather system um, looks like it might be a bit sticky there. Let's stay in Europe. Um, let me just close that one so that I don't talk about it again. Again. Ah, yes, we have, uh, this is kind of European but kind of global, um, Fritz Ensinger from Porsche Motorsport Vice President, who is the Motorsport Vice President at Porsche, rather, um, is retiring. We knew that. What we did yeah. know was who was going to take over, but now we do. Well, we do, and it, it's an interesting uh, direction that they've gone in. But first, I want to say that Fritz has been with Borsha for 10 years. So at the age of 65, this is not him being pushed out. This is very much him having accomplished uh, mm. a lot, three overall Le Mans wins in his time, uh, and moving aside. So now he's leaving the company uh, in the more than capable hands of the guy who runs the electric powertrain uh, racing department, Thomas Loudenbach. Very interesting choice for them to go for somebody, again, who focuses very much in the electrification of racing. Yeah, it's it's not as if that's all he's done, though. Loudenbach um, was uh, head of powertrain, which is where a lot of people have come from, funny enough. The last two yeah. um, uh, CEOs and, and VPs of... Uh, President and CEOs of PCNA, Volker Holtzmeier came from Powertrain, and I, and I think so did Daniel Ambruster um, uh, as as well. Um, he'd been with Porsche, uh, for, I think, six or seven years, and uh, he did the RSR, the 911 RSR, the 911 GT3R, the 918 Spider, and interestingly, the RS Spider LMP2. And the reason I think that that's interesting because that 3.4 V8 is still the engine that is rumoured to be used in the LMDH. He went over to Volkswagen in... uh, Sorry, he went over to Audi in 2013 where he was head of electric technologies there and then came back um, bringing some of that knowledge back to Porsche. Um, In the week that the new Porsche Mission R has been... Um, unveiled at the Munich Motor Show, which is there very much not a concept car that looks really ready to go and race right now. Electric racing car, electric GT. I think this is interesting. Um, I've no doubt he's still got petrol running through his veins, though. Um, let's so let well, we'll have a chat with him soon. We'll get him on the show. Uh, let's quickly go through another couple of stories before we head to the entry for Long Beach. Um, Cadillac. Now, a couple of things for Cadillac. Um, 
we now know when we might see their car, their new LMDH. Yes, they're hoping to get it on track uh, as soon as possible. It will be in spring of 2022. And I was actually just having an interesting conversation yesterday about the calendar. It ends really early at the end of next year, at the end of 2022, because we are giving a large opportunity for teams to develop and potentially enhance these new LMDH cars that are becoming out. So the the end of uh, the IMSA season coming in the first week of October mm -hmm. means that potentially we could be off the track for almost four months if they do the not Roar happening. and the Rolex together again. No, that's not happening. Uh, that is absolutely not happening. I'm sure that that extra event that we've been uh, hearing about will will turn up. Um, uh, uh, Laura Wantrup Klausner has said, "Don't get uh, tied up." And this is coming from Sportscar Three Six Five. I'm indebted to those guys for this, uh, John and the rest of the team. Don't get hung up on the fact that the, the rendering has depicted the car without the wings, similar to the Peugeot. Uh, 72, um, it has to run a rear wing in LMDH because that's the regulations there, that there are different aero regs. However, Laura said, as an engineer, she's very excited about the opportunities that the new aero regs bring um, because they've got a lot more freedom to do some more styling cues. Um, and, it, and it does seem as though they want to use here the WEC. Now, it, it's Action Express and... Chip Ganassi Racing for IMSA. Chip Ganassi, we believe, will be the works team for WEC. And it does seem as though they want to use the WEC as a global platform for the Cadillac brand, which, frankly, to me, makes perfect sense. It's all about marketing. And GM, in particular, has been big about uh, being smart as far as using their racing budget for the global marketing. So that doesn't surprise me at all. Um, let's do a bit of IMSA news while we're on, and it is Long Beach next, uh, just for WeatherTech Sports Guard Championship, and not for all the classes. What does the uh, what does the entry list tell us, Cher? Uh, well, it's as I expected. We have six DPIs coming to play, three uh, GTLMs. Only driver change in GTLM is we get Jam Jam back as Matty Campbell is going to be sitting this one out. So it's going to be Jam Jam and Cooper in the WeatherTech race in Porsche. Um, I had expected 17. Yes, that is correct. One, seven GTD cars. It's a lot. Last time we raced there in 2017, we had 16 GTD cars, though. So this is not unprecedented. Mm. But the 17 that were announced today were not necessarily the 17 that I've been expecting. Uh, so that was a little <laughs> bit of fun. We've got new to the entry list, and I'll start with the ones that I was not expecting. Grasser is back. I was told that their Lamborghini would not finish out the season, but they are indeed on this entry list, and it seems like uh, Godfrey Grasser very intent on coming to Long Beach VIR and then the finale at Motul Petit Le Mans. Uh, we've got U.S. Racetronics making their racing debut. It's Ogara Motorsport for the number 26. They are bringing the only Mercedes, and more on that in a second, to this Long Beach race. Stephen Agacani and Jacob Edson making their IMSA, well, debut and then second ever race for Jacob. The second heart of racing, Aston Martin, is back again. Um, unexpected car for me, GMG Racing, James Safronis in a Porsche. It's unexpected because James has been racing an Audi this year in GT America, where he's done six races and won half of them so far this year. So he's got a pretty handy record as far as that goes. 
Um, and then another unexpected car to the entry list, Scuderia Corsa is back. We have a Ferrari. Finally, we have a Ferrari back. Daniel Mancinelli, a guy who has had a lot of success in World Challenge Racing and SRO, uh, won the Long Beach race back in 2018, as a matter of fact, in a Ferrari, joins up with Colin Brown making his GTD return first time since 2017 for Colin when he and John Bennett ran in a Porsche. Now, Colin's still going for the LMP3 championship alongside John Bennett. We're not going to see him in this car at Motul Petit Le Mans, but I'm curious to see how many races Scuderia Corsa decides to run for the rest of the year. They've got a good record at VIR, but to be honest, this is a close race to home for them. I would have been surprised if they hadn't brought the car back out. Now, one quick note about Mercedes. I was expecting to see Allegra or Gilbert on the entry list. Neither of them do feature. So that means we do have one Mercedes on the entry list this week. Just not the one I was expecting. Uh, quick note about IndyCar. They were at Portland. I don't remember Portland looking as smooth and <laughs> uh, as lovely as that. And with spectators around the far end of the circuit. But it was a decent race for uh, for the IndyCars. Uh, championship implications, kind of? Oh, massive. Uh, it swung back in the way of Chip Ganassi's I Like Winners driver, Alex Palou, taking his third win of the season. Padua Ward dropped back to second after a not very good race. And Joseph Newgarden jumped up into third, although he is barely ahead of Scott Dixon. We're heading into Laguna Seca this weekend, WeatherTech Race by Laguna Seca. Um, there's an interesting feel to the paddock right now. Their schedule is expected to be announced any day now. 18 races projected for next year. Six of them potential clashes with IMSA weekends. So oh, that wow. rules out any possibility of drivers doing both. Um, but then there was a big announcement a couple of days ago. Ryan hunter Ray is out officially at Andretti. There have been the rumors swirling mm -hmm. for a while, but the IndyCar champion and Indy 500 winner has been left without a seat. So if I play this now, um, and I'll bring Nick in on this as well. Bonjour. Why am I playing this piece of music t together with motorsport? It's a little something we did this afternoon. Carry no those idea. Do you know what the music is? No. It's an acoustic no. version. I'll give you that. Keep going. Tell me. Keep it running. Well, if I said it was Tusk and Fleetwood Mac... Right, OK, so that's fine. Near the chain. Well, Tusk is a different album, obviously, but... Completely different, yes. Rumours <laughs> and uh, Tusk. Tusk, yeah. Yeah. So why is this linked to a motorsport story? Uh, Elephants. Nick Fleetwood being tall. Uh, I have absolutely no idea. Oh, I, I don't I, I know. That, didn't I? Um, the, uh, uh, where was the video filmed? I'm not a Fleetwood Mac fan. They were the, the antithesis of any that I'd listened to in the 80s. I was an indie boy. Fleetwood Mac were the enemy. <gasps> a Bruce Springsteen boy, though. Bruce Springsteen is rough, and he's against the, he's against the state in America. Born in the USA is not an anthem pro-America. It's anti-America, but it's misconstrued by many, many Americans. Not anti-America, but it's anti-establishment in America. Where, where was, where was the mo Where was the video film? Do I've we never know seen the video. Do I've we never know watched the video. Uh, no. Thank you, Shelby. The show wasn't even born. Coliseum with oh, the USC right. Right. Oh. So we're doing the quarter of a mile loopy de loop on NASCAR. Mm. Yeah, so the NASCAR schedule, I counted, I count one weekend off between February <laughs> 6th and November 6th. Lazy bees. 
Um, I really just should have got the guitar out and played it myself at yeah, live, shouldn't have. I, rather than recording it earlier on as I did. Um, uh, it's it's going to be, is it going to be a quarter mile oval or a half mile oval? Ugh. It's a quarter mile. Uh, well, it's 400, 400, we'll see 400 how metres. Big they can build it. In, in, in fairness, it's going to be, it's norm, It's the race that's normally before the the 500, isn't it? So yeah. it, it's it's one of the, the clash well, type races. So it's not going to be it, a full 40 car field. It is the clash. So it is selected invitational people only. I'd have known that one. I'd be happy to listen to it. Yeah. (laughs) But but the thing is, guys, that we still have the duels at Daytona, which sets the qualifying for the Daytona 500. It it, it, all complicated. Um, But instead of doing three consecutive race meetings at Daytona, they've now moved one of them to L.A., which is pretty polar opposite to Daytona. I mean, the only further place you could really go to would be Seattle uh, and then still be in the same continent. But the good news is that... Yeah, no, that that would work too. Um, the good news is that not all the teams are going to have to go to the clash. It's just if you are um, fortunate enough to have won a race this year or won a pole, I think is is what earns you admission there or uh, previous winners of the Daytona 500. Okay, um, I have to ask the question: um, Is there a huge audience in LA that aren't aren't being satisfied? <laughs> For NASCAR? Uh, That's a different question entirely. <laughs> okay. Uh, no. Okay. Uh, thank you, Cher. Thanks for being with yeah. us. Uh, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Sounds good. That was the uh, the Visit Cayman Island sports car news uh, with Cher Adam with a bit of uh, USA news tagged on at the end as well. Uh, we'll finish off tonight with the team by team from the Autodromo Monza. Uh, Nick Damon. I, not... I have a question. Yeah. Why haven't I got an intro for this year? Well, we did it before. No, oh, no, you yeah, mean you haven't got a bit of music? Yeah, a bit of music. Yeah, this is the thirty-something I've done. I've got music yet. I want, and I'm. Yeah, I think <laughs> you can use George Harrison's faster. That'd be good. Really? Yeah. All right. I'll I'll record an acoustic version of that for next week. Okay. Fair I enough. promise you. Okay. <laughs> uh, Go on. Then. DNF and DNS. Uh, it wasn't a great weekend for AlphaTauri Honda. No, I think in in fairness, um, if you were to define absolutely terrible weekend, you would start off with a sprint race where your lead driver um, tripped over the back of, well, kind of had coming together with another car, lost his wing, didn't realise he'd run over the wing, and then ripped, wrote the whole side of the car off around the Lesmos. When they rebuilt the car, they didn't rebuild it properly for the real race, and it couldn't steer. No, sorry, the throttle wasn't working properly. And then Yuki Tsunoda in the other car was rubbish most of the weekend. Almost got into Q2, then got his time disallowed, went back to Q1 again. Got into the actual main race, his brakes didn't work. And within three laps, they were both um, retired. So, uh, yeah, and that's their home race as well, of course. Well, it's just was Imola's really the home race for uh, AlphaTauri, but their official home race being the Italian Grand Prix. So, a weekend to forget. Uh, yes, indeed. So, um, next finisher, also non-classified, Max Verstappen. So, Red Bull Racing Honda, Max uh, down in position, yes. and the, uh, Sergio Perez was fifth. Yes. Um, we talked about the crash. but um, Moving on. Realistically, coming out of the weekend, um, Red Bull are two points further. Sorry, Red Bull. Sorry, uh, Max is two points further ahead than Lewis. And if going into the weekend you said they're going to be two points further ahead, they'd have absolutely bitten your arm off. 
Um, in fairness, um, Mercedes would have bitten your arm off maybe two points behind at the start of the main race, starting where they were and thinking that Max was going to really easily. And then they wanted their arm back again after Max's pit stop was mucked up because then they thought they'd get back again. And, but, so, yeah, it ebbed and flowed. But the net, in fairness, the net winner of the weekend is, is Max because the, the, the effective idea was they were going to lose points to what was a faster Mercedes car if they got everything Perez, right. Perez, a little unconvincing again. Well, no, Perez satis- completely sacrifices qualifying to tow Max round twice. And that stuck him ninth or so in the uh, sprint. He didn't make any progress. He lost at the start. The main race, it was just messy. He picked up penalties, had to give things back, then didn't give things back, and ended up fifth. He should really, he should have been third, but that, but the not giving things back, I think that's as much a pit wall decision. I think they get a bit, you know, a bit up, you know, Jonathan Wheatley has something to answer for there. Yeah, but uh, so they they underachieved. But I don't think it was Perez's fault this time. Uh, uh, and uh, Mercedes, yep. Lewis Hamilton next up. So no. Mercedes and Valtteri. All about Mercedes. What you need to do is sack one of your drivers. You sack the driver, gets pole, wins the sprint, unfortunately you go to the back, gets through to third. Second. Um, uh, sorry, third, yes. Third. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know... And frankly, if, if he had a half a chance of, of winning the race. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's, it, I think think perhaps a different driver you might have thought might have been able to push it a bit more. He nearly got past um, Perez on the road rather than just waiting for the, the uh, penalty to play out. But it was, yeah, it was a good performance by um, Valtteri. Lewis um, you know, made one quite serious mistake, which was the start of the sprint race, dropping back bad start, at four places, and then you get stuck behind Lando Norris. And he was stuck behind Lando Norris Right up until he got past him, which wasn't seen on the TV because they were too, bo- too bothered with the uh, Verstappen pit stop. It wasn't, wasn't noticed by the driver. Sitting there with him in the lead for like at least a third of the lap before the Sky Comet even noticed it happened, that he got past. It's like, it's because oh, no. they're too busy watching Red Bull. Well, exactly. I'm never um, going to get a job with Yeah, them, so it wasn't a, great, it wasn't a great weekend for Lewis. Um, yeah, but at the start of the race, as I said, the main race, he would have taken being two points behind. So... Onwards and upwards. Haas Ferrari. Nikita Mazepan, the last of the uh, non-finishes, and mm-hmm. Mick Schu, the last of the actual finishes. Well, this isn't going to surprise you, John. Uh, Nikita, <laughs> they came together again. Uh, Nikita Mazepan took Schumacher off and picked the penalty, but this time said sorry. Said sorry. Sorry, I lost you there for a moment. Uh, it sounded like sorry. there was an apology was from Mazepin. Actually, Mazepin. my foot. Well, it was. He was ridiculously optimistic into the second chicane and spun Schumacher around. Um, apart from that, they were the last of the runners. I mean, Mazepan actually parked a couple of laps later. I think it may have been a tactical park, to be honest. Um, and Schumacher trundled around at the back, getting laps in. Alfa Romeo racing Ferrari in 13th and 14th for Giovinazzi and Kubica. I thought Robert Kubica did an all right job again yeah, this weekend. Yeah, he was all right. Um, no better or worse than Raikkonen. Nothing particularly inspiring. Giovinazzi, for the second race in a row, qualified really, really well, then managed to conspire to, to actually louse up in the real race. Actually, he qualified well and then moved forward in the sprint. So yes, I think he st- I think he qualified tenth, moved forward to seventh, and then in the first lap got involved in an incident where he rejoined wrongly. Um, I don't think it was quite as bad in the first lap. Said, and unfortunately, he got got collected by uh, Carlos Sainz. Not Sainz's fault, his fault. And that took his wing off, and suddenly he was just running at the back. So Giovinazzi showed real qualifying speed, but once again didn't capitalise on it in the race, which is uh, yeah, where you're fighting, battling for your uh, your seat against every single other F1 driver hopeful in the world. It's the last seat left. It's not what you want to do. Uh, next up, Aston Martin Mercedes, because Sebastian Vettel was 12th. His teammate, Lance Stroll, was 7th. Yeah, best race of the season for Lance Stroll, 7th place. Uh, looked relatively convincing. Uh, once again, the lower-rate cars are supposed to work better in 
uh, the high-speed tracks. A bit of advantage. The only, the, only, the only copybook blotting of Lance's seventh is he achieved it by knocking his own teammate off on lap two. Ah, yes. Um, you know, it, again, it wasn't vindictive. It was just the, the, the general melee. But, but, but for, for, poor old Fettel did get beaten up about 14 times during this race. He's not really had a lot of luck from falling off from his disqualification from Hungary. It's all been downhill with uh, various issues. But and he wants to come back next year, he says. Yeah, he does. Yeah. Which well, is got a new factory and everything else. So I think he will do another year and that'll be it. Williams Mercedes had Nicholas Lafitte uh, <laughs> Latifi in 11th, scoring no points. And George Russell uh, in 9th, scoring Two points. You mean George London Bus Russell? Because no, no points for two years, three years, then three come along at once. But uh, for uh, for Williams, obviously, he did score points, very minor points in the Bahrain short circuit race he filled in for Williams. Anyway, for for Mercedes, uh, yeah, obviously uh, Latifi um, officially outqualified Russell. We discussed it already. He didn't. Uh, but he did do better in the sprint race than Russell, and he did start better in this race. But uh, a fortuitous falling of the safety car compared to pit stops enabled Russell to leapfrog three or four cars. And actually, once he was in ninth place, I was actually looking on our um, on our timing, so I won't mention where that timing is. I was watching the live timing, and he put in a good performance. He actually was was harrying Alonso and staying away from Ocon in the Al- Alpine. So. Uh, yeah, he got a ninth. It's not his best race, but, you know, he scored this one. Some of his good races <laughs> just haven't achieved anything, so it's kind of a bit calmer on that one. And Latifi, in fairness to Latifi, I think he is absolutely justifying his safe pair of hands second seat. He's doing a good job. And he, yeah. yeah, he's not a George Russell, but then who is? Apart uh, from George. But George, yeah. Alpine Renault uh, with two point scores, a tenth for Esteban and an eighth for Fernando Orlando. Uh, Fernando Orlando, yep, good again. Um Good scrapping, good good aggressiveness. Did what he needed to do. Got the points, and he wasn't again a neutral weekend. I would say Esteban Ocon was great because Esteban Ocon complained about getting a penalty for punting someone off the track. I can't remember who it was now, and his defence was, "Well, you let Leclerc do it to Hamilton two years ago." And I was thinking, "Excellent." Yeah, well, in, in, in fairness, yes, good, but also no, good, good memory, <laughs> um, because it was quite yeah. Um, Esteban had a, had a messy race of penalties and, and picked up a point, but. Realistically, if things had gone well, he'd only picked up two points. So, you know, what are you going to do? Sixth place for Carlos Sainz. Fourth place for Charles Leclerc for Ferrari. Yeah, Carlos Sainz has developed an unfortunate habit of having accidents. He's had three in the last four races, not in the, in the last four events, not in the races themselves. Um, all of them, as he begins, he says to push the envelope. So as he tries to get closer to the ultimate performance, and uh, certainly have one lap and Matt Charles, there's been a few problems. Um, the race, he was a little bit... It was, the Ferraris flattered to deceive again. They looked quick in the second half of the sprint race. And you kind of thought, oh, this is interesting. They might have some, something going, going for the main race. But sort of a fade. He got take, taken relatively easy by Valtteri Bottas and uh, also by Perez. Um, yeah, I mean, it was all right. That was all. Um, but the main thing he did wrong was he fell off the back of Leclerc, which meant that he couldn't capitalise on the five-second penalty for Perez, and there was no real reason for that, so he must have been that was his ultimate pace. Uh, Charles Leclerc decided this was one of his best ever races for uh, for Ferrari, and I didn't really see it. It was fine. It was, it was you know, How was your race? Perfectly fine. You know, nothing to criticise, nothing to praise, but he decided to go. It was absolutely blooming marvellous. I, I don't really see it, how it was. You were fourth. Um, the two people who would, you would have been sixth if the cars had kept going. Yeah. 
I know they didn't keep going, if some buts, but the point about it is I'm not quite sure why you're giving yourself such a big, big up. And finalement, and finally, and yes. finally, Esther. Esther, yes, um, indeed. McLaren, Mercedes, Lando in second, and Daniel Ricciardo, with that is the proper way to say it, even though he doesn't say it like that, um, because he can't be bothered. <laughs> yes, um, too many syllables. Uh, uh, I mean, fabulous. Yeah, One, brilliant. two, McLaren. Um, I, I would like to think that this is the resurgence that we've all been hoping for. There were other factors at, at play. But, in fairness, they had pace all weekend. They've got the Mercedes engines working for them. Ricciardo was, I thought, in good form, and so was Lando. I think and their tactics were good. Yeah, I think that even without the coming together, there was like a 99% chance that he would have won. I think Ricciardo would have won that regardless of... He'd certainly been on the podium. No, no, he'd have won. I think he'd have won. Because mm. they couldn't get past him beforehand. And you're assuming an awful lot that the Tamils can get past him when he couldn't get past any other McLarens. Unless their tyres were right off and they were on a different tyre offset. By the time he got there, okay. if he had got... I think, I, genuinely, I think, I mean, yeah, I think he'd have won. I think Norris would have been third. If it, if it carried on going, which it didn't, ifs and buts, I think it would have been uh, Ricciardo, Hamilton, Norris. And next up is... Uh, hang on, finish this yet? Right. Um, so Sorry. yeah, I mean, it is an absolute fantastic research. It was great to see Ricciardo getting his form back. Um, the thing is that the, the the McLarens are very good on fast tracks. They were excellent up on the the fast parts of Austria as well. It's it's a car that suits that. Don't expect it to be at the front in uh, in any anyway Nike's front as it was in uh, Sochi in two weeks' time. I suppose Norris must be a little bit disappointed. That's a quick track though, isn't it? Oh, it's a bit nudgy around the back. Very nudgy around the back, but okay. it does have some fast pitch, which is why Verstappen taking an engine penalty would work for him, because he'd be able to overtake one car every couple of laps. Well, that's Bottas did, because yeah. the, 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 the difference in the engine mode, because you've got to set the engine mode early. Because yeah, that new engine, engine, that was really he was, noticeable. He could yeah. turn it It was up. really noticeable how he had extra really performance. Noticeable. But, um, yeah, and, and of course, we do know that, they're talking about that, that Howington will have to take an engine as well at some point. Obviously, he won't take it in Sochi. Well, possibly, possibly not, depending on how many races there are. Do you, do you, do you gamble on that? It's a really good question, but no, if you notice the difference between Hamilton's engine and Bottas's engine, you kind of think, yeah, I'd like a, a new one, please. everybody's engine, yes. You know, and, uh, which is fine, because he took the penalty, and he stopped to the back, but he was able to get the pole and ease the sprint away. But yeah, I mean, it's just, it does show you that they, they, they can't run... Full beans. Full be- have any have any issues, because they both lost... Um, Verstappen effectively lost three quarters of an engine, if you think of the life of an engine. Hamilton's lost half an engine, so they've got no chance of getting there. So they have to take another one, which I think is a fault. And again, apart from my di- and again, one of my dislikes about the cost cap world, I think they should have as many engines as they need. But that's because <laughs> I'm out of complete step. Uh, <laughs> quick word before we go to HRN. Uh, it's Paul Tarsi and the team tonight. Their second part of the Jaguar special. That's coming up. We're running into their time. Um, but a quick word about tomorrow night. It's Matt and Jordan for the Simcast at 8 o'clock. And this week on the grid, uh, the... <laughs> Tony Shebecki, uh, Mark Walker and Richard Creel will be delving into their motorsport paraphernalia. I, I don't even want to know. They'll be listing their five favourite bits of memorabilia that they've collected over the years. Uh, they'll also uh, be looking at the Bumper six-day Bathurst event that's just been announced. And they'll be looking back at the Italian Grand Prix as well as much more. That's nine o'clock tomorrow night. Join us next week at the same time, eight o'clock, when Tim will be back and we will finish on time, almost certainly. <laughs> um, I, but before then, we've got Johnny and Gigi at the weekend. Uh, Nick and I are doing some online bits and pieces, which we'll tweet tweet about as well. But it's ELMS and MLMC 
from Spa at the weekend. Thanks very much to Kerry Cobb, who was doing it all up in London as our executive producer. Parker Thompson was our guest. Thank you very much indeed uh, for coming on board. And Tom Moore set that up. And also, of course, to Shea Adam and Declan Brennan. The responsible adult was Eve Hewitt. And I'm going back to practice a little bit more uh, of my, my theme tune. My theme tune. Chip I, I think that kind of works. <laughs> Just got to keep remembering to ban the guitar. Back next week. No time to explain. Uh, the llama is practicing ukulele. This program is a Radio Show Limited production. For more, subscribe to Midweek Motorsport wherever you get your podcasts.